Pachango. How's it going out there? It's a kind of a dark, gloomy, uh, overcast day in Crestone, which is unusual. Crestone gets more days of sun per year than Los Angeles, California, but, uh, similar to Los Angeles, California, it's uh, snowing here today. Yeah. I saw a friend of mine sent me some footage uh, of a fucking hailstorm in LA. And I thought hell is freezing over. Here it is. It's fucking signs of the apocalypse, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, this is a, this is kind of a weird meta episode, um, because I recorded the intro back in October. I think it was late October. I was out at, uh, Tal Ruspoli's place in Joshua tree. We were about to head into the Utah desert as you'll hear me saying in a moment here. Um, And uh, we're going to go camp for a few weeks before arriving in Crestown in early November. So yeah, it must've been, maybe it was early October. Anyway, um, I was about to post this episode and then Eric, the subject of the episode, Eric Zuleger, uh, asked me to delay it because he had, uh, I think there was a TV show that Vice, they had put together and maybe that was going to be coming out soon. And there's a book that's maybe going to be coming out soon. And so I kept delaying it to coincide with those potential launch episodes events. And, um, but they keep getting delayed. And, uh, finally I contacted Eric and I was like, dude, you know, uh, let's just release this. And if, and when your book comes out or a TV show happens or whatever, I'll have you back. Cause the, the dude is super interesting. Uh, it's not like we're going to run out of things to talk about. He's an adventurer. He's a writer. He's, um, a traveler extraordinaire. And he's, uh, gotten himself into some really funny, bizarre situations. Like he was the ambassador uh, of one country that doesn't really exist to another country that doesn't really exist, depending who you talk to. And that's sort of his thing. He, he's got a book. I don't know. It's coming out sometime. I don't know when the fuck it's coming out, but it's called You Are Not Here Travels Through Countries That Don't Exist. Um, and his, uh, research, he was teaching third grade in Iraqi Kurdistan. So that's the idea. It's like Iraqi Kurdistan is definitely a place. There are, Iraqi Kurds who live in Iraqi Kurdistan, but you'd be hard pressed to find it on a political map because it's not a separate country. Um, and Iraq doesn't really, uh, accept its existence, nor does Turkey, nor does Iran in, in Kurdistan is, so it's one of these places that both exist and, and don't exist. And that's the sort of stuff that he's really interested in. Uh, he's a trained intelligence analyst. Uh, he ran summer camp in Boston, uh, worked with autistic kids and he's traveled around, uh, to over 45 countries. His published work is in 
uh, various, various places. You can look at the show notes for that. I'm not just going to read all this shit to you. Um, so interesting guy, funny guy, cool guy. He flew down to Athens when we were there in August and, um, I guess he was in somewhere near there. I don't know if he was in Georgia or, or where he was, but he had uh, a friend to see in, in Athens. And then after we recorded this, we went out and had a few drinks with his, his buddy, who was also a really interesting guy, as I recall. don't remember his name, but I remember he was a writer and he just published a novel recently that looked interesting. Anyway, um, I hope you enjoy this. And I hope things are going well for you out there in the world. And I'm not going to talk too long because I've already done the intro. So you're going to, now you're going to hear me talking a few months ago as if it's now, but it's not now. And actually even now isn't now because I'm recording this at 2.11 PM Colorado time, Sunday, February 26th. But I know that's not when you're listening to it. So my now isn't your now. And my now isn't even my now. Oh, fuck. This is so meta. All right. So this is the most meta episode of Tangentially Speaking, I think, that has existed so far. Um, As you'll hear me say later, which is actually earlier, thank you for your support of the podcast. Thank you especially to those of you who subscribe to my Substack feed, chrisryan.substack.com where you get all sorts of bonus material, especially if you pay five bucks a month. But even if you don't, even if you're just a free subscriber, you still get bonus stuff. So there's like bonus and then there's super bonus. Uh, one of the super bonus things is I do an open thread every month. And this last month of February, it was your favorite quotations. And man, people have some awesome quotations that they threw in there. I think there are over a hundred posted at this point. Some really good ones. Uh, one that I particularly appreciated was someone wrote, free your mind and your ass will follow. The kingdom of heaven is within, which I immediately recognized from a funkadelic song. And then we got into uh, another song by funkadelic called What is Soul? That's a really interesting song. You should listen to that if you have Spotify or something, because it's, it's like a call and response. The, they sing, what is soul? And then each time one of the guys in the band comes up with a, a different, weird, kind of a Cohen-like uh, answer. Like one of them is, soul is the ring around your bathtub. <laughs> and you hear them all laughing. In the, they're high as fuck, of course. Uh, what is soul? Soul is a ham hock in your cornflakes. Yeah, what is soul? And then the end, the song really gets rocking. And he says, what is soul? And then you hear the guy say, I'll tell you, I don't know. And then the whole song is just this examination of what is soul? What is soul? And then the music's building and building and building. And eventually you realize the music is telling you what soul is. Just shut the fuck up and listen. That's what soul is. Listen to the music. Yeah. It's a really good song. Kind of meta, like this episode. Eric Zulager, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy the layered, weird time travel that's happening. And I hope things are going well for you out there, whatever you're doing as you listen. If you're 
on your daily walk, taking the dog out to take a shit, the dog to take a shit. If you want to take a shit too, you go right ahead. I mean, that'll probably make the dog feel a lot more comfortable if both of you take a shit. So, uh, but just, it would be weird if you took the dog out to take a shit and you took a shit and the dog didn't. I think that might be awkward. I don't know. It depends on what your local ordinances say. I'm going to stop before this gets worse. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I'm very grateful to each and every one of you. And uh, my apologies to the people at the beginning who sent in their intro snippets and I put them into the episode and then the episode sat on my hard drive for four or five months. Uh, so they're not where they say they are anymore. The guy in Northern Vietnam riding a motorcycle who just got stung by a big bee. He probably doesn't even remember that anymore. Time, such a strange thing. All right. Sending much love out to everybody. Uh, send me an intro snippet that Chris Ryan at gmail.com. Bye. Rusty ankles and ashy kneecaps. Soul is chitlin foo young. Hey Chris, this is Paul from Southern Ontario, Canada. I'm recording this under the stars of the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. It's Christmas time. Turns out when you're wifeless and kidless, it's a great time to travel. There's a fellow camper a couple hundred yards from me whose name is also Paul. He's been living out of his van for a month now, and I asked him what his plans were. He has none. Gotta envy that. Thanks for everything. Hey, Chris. This is Kendall from Colorado. Your podcast has been immensely important in my personal growth, um, especially relating to relationships. So thank you very much for that. Um, I wanted to read a short few words from Khalil Gibran's The Prophet that I think will resonate uh, with the listeners of the podcast. Let there be spaces in your togetherness and let the winds of heavens dance between you. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Peace, brother. Hey, Chris. This is uh, Nathan, huge fan of the podcast. I'm currently riding a motorcycle through the Hajiang province in Vietnam on the border of China. I just got stung by the biggest wasp I've ever seen, but shit happens, love and life. Um, keep it up. Love it. Well, thank you for that, Paul, Kendall, and Nathan, and Khalil. If you haven't sent me one of those intro snips and you'd like to hear yourself on the podcast or just say hi to everybody else, please send it to me. Record it on your phone or whatever. Keep it under a minute if possible. Uh, and you don't need to be in an exotic place. You don't need to be, you know, trekking the Inca Trail or... Uh, taking San Pedro cactus or doing any other exotic crazy thing. You can just be hanging out, sitting in your living room, eating ice cream. I don't give a shit. Just say hi. Uh, send it to me at thatchrisryan at gmail.com. All right, everybody. Hope you're doing well. This episode is this is a really good one. This is uh, Eric Zulager. I met him. I guess I met him online. He... Uh, 
I think he reached out online and we conversed a bit and uh he's a really funny guy, really interesting dude. He's he was a Peace Corps volunteer uh and he got interested in this concept of stateless nations. So like places that kind of exist and kind of don't exist at the same time. Um, think of, you know, Kurdistan, maybe, uh, Palestine, right? Like there are definitely Palestinians, but where's Palestine? I mean, this is one of the major problems in the world these days, right? Um, or places where different countries are claiming jurisdiction and, and so there's confusion around that. And every once in a while you hear about somebody who buys an island and declares it their own country. And so how, what is a country and who gets to decide what qualifies as a country? I'm outside right now. I'm sorry for the wind noise. It just got windy as soon as I turned the mic on. Uh, I'm in Joshua Tree at my buddy Tao's place. I think we're going to record a podcast together in a few minutes. So I'm trying to get this done before he comes looking for me. Uh, it's beautiful out here. Big white clouds, storm clouds coming in from the west. Not sure if it'll actually rain, but it's interesting to see those big purple clouds. Um, yeah. So anyway, Eric, uh, he tells this crazy story about a brief time when he was the acting ambassador from Lieberland to Somaliland. <laughs> if you've never heard of either of those places, welcome to the club. Uh, but anyway, that's what's going on with him. I'm going to stop talking because this wind is picking up and uh, I, I want to uh, get this up and out before I leave Wi-Fi. We're headed into the desert. Uh, not sure when I'll have access to Wi-Fi again, but uh, we're going to be in southern Utah among the Red Rocks, um, down around Boulder, Escalante area, I think, unless the weather drives us elsewhere, but that's the plan. Um, so if you're going to be in southern Utah cruising around and you want to say hi, drop me a line, thatchrisryan at gmail.com. I'm going to play you out with a tune called Rock the Nation, Michael Franti and Spearhead. Hope you dig it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for telling your friends, writing reviews, uh, or subscribing to my Substack feed, chrisryan.substack.com. You can subscribe for free, or you can throw five bucks a month into the kitty, which I greatly appreciate. All right, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope things are rolling in the right direction for you. And if not, just wait. And they will soon. Love y'all. Bye. Proclamation. 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 An aggressive time, a painful time, a time where cynicism rocks the vine, and a time where violence blocks the summer shine. Lifetimes go by in a flash, in a search for love, in a search for cash. Everybody wanna be some fat tycoon, everybody wanna be on a tropic honeymoon, nobody wanna sing a little bit out of tune, or be the backbone of a rebel platoon. It's too soon to step out of line, you might get laughed at, you might get fine, but do you fear me when I say I feel pain every day when I see the way my friends gotta slay and never get ahead of bills they gotta 
pit, no way, no way. Some make a living doing killing, Colombian penicillin. Some are willing to play the villain, they just chilling. To pass the time, pass the information, or pass the wine. Pass the buck, or pass the baton. But you can't pass the police or the Pentagon. The IRS or the upper echelon. I think it's time to make a move on, the contradiction. Bomb, bomb. Rock the nation, take over television and radio station. Bomb, bomb. The true shall come, give the corporations of complication, bomb, bomb. Rock the nation, take over television and radio station, bomb, bomb. The true shall come, give the corporations of complication, say, This is the dawning of our time. I say it one more time, to emphasize the meaning of my rhyme. To rise above all the dirt and grime At the right spice, at the right time Fuck the Constitution Are we part of the solution? Or are we part of the pollution? Sitting by and wondering why Things ain't the way we like to find them to be To be for you and for me The people over there and the ones in between Check our habitation Are we a peace-loving nation? Peace-loving nation I have a reasonable doubt I think I just spell it out There's no need to scream or to shout The NRA just bought a man's soul Then he jumps up and shouts Gun control. The government say that killing's a sin unless you kill a murderer with a lethal syringe. So I ask again, are we peace lovers then? Peace lovers then. Some of them slang guns when they six years old. Some of them end up in some six foot hold so damn place into lost control. So I raise my voice before I lose my soul. Bomb, bomb. Rock the nation. Take over television and radio station. Bomb, bomb. The truth shall come. Give the corporations of complication. Bomb, bomb. Rock the nation, take over television and radio station, bomb bomb. The truth shall come, give the corporations a complication. Radio rock the mic. This is the way I'll express my feelings. Bob revealed them evolved, spinning on a record. Y'all try to confiscate, take what I communicate with. It's ancient, gift to the lips, steady creating, activating, passing vocal violations to the blind plus the seeing. Human doesn't mean just being, becoming. Don't believe it, just be life it. Belongings and beloved, rehearse it or recite it while shining. Drop your guns, move your tongues, battle motivation. No times lyrics come, sometimes fun, others run. Their mouth throw away, my mind's cold beaming like an early sun ray. One day we'll get the picture and all combine. Let's be talking about mind's mind and become one mind. Every piece of the puzzle has its place to build the piece of the puzzle called the human race. Taking it long enough to cross the form of journalistics. Dyslexic critics put backwards to rap words. I'm sure raising my hand with questions and demands. Statements in a plan with the map of the land. Bomb, bomb. Rock the nation. Take over television and radio station. Bomb, bomb. The truth shall come. Keep the corporations of complication. Bomb, bomb. Rock the nation. Take over television and radio station. Bomb, bomb. The truth shall come. Give the corporations some complication. All right, so I'm sitting here with Eric in Athens, Georgia. No, not Athens, Georgia. <laughs> we were just talking about Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, but yeah. A different Georgia. Totally. Athens, Greece. Right. Also a G, though. Yes. Athens, Georgia is the home of REM. Is it? Yeah. I've I never have no been idea. there. No, I haven't either. I've never it's, been to Georgia. It's a university town, and it's, it's like Austin, Texas. It's like the only cool place in the is state. Is it really? 
Yeah. Yeah. Or Fargo fucking... North Dakota. Fuck what? Is it North Dakota? I think it's or North South Dakota. Dakota. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I, I, I knew someone who went to Fargo, and he said it was really cool. I said, Fargo's fucking cool? He's like... Every cool person within a thousand square miles yeah. of, of Fargo, that's where they go. I, I think that they, there's a, there are these little islands where all the coolest people in their small towns end up collecting. Right. And then they hope that nobody tells their lame friends. It's like, just right. tell right. just tell through the network of like the really cool small town people, we're going to Fargo. Laramie, Wyoming. So similar. I just fucked it all up by, by telling the whole world that Fargo's cool? Fargo is not in North Dakota, everybody. Uh, it is it's in Canada. Fargo, Canada. Yeah, Lovely Fargo, Fargo, Canada. The Fargo Islands that's of right. Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Lots of cool people there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love the Fargo Islands. <laughs> what did you just say? What was the other one? Uh, Laramie. Oh, uh, Laramie, Wyoming. Really? Yeah. yeah. Weirdly. Uh, I was there last summer. Uh, you know, groovy people, cool dogs. Uh, really cheap rents, I'm guessing. Yeah, can't swing a cat. This episode goes. That's right. Out. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, all the you, prices are. You pumping can't now. swing a cat because of all the dogs. Uh, no, because of all the bars. Oh, yeah, uh, and good bars too. Like really fantastic, you know, cowboy esque bars without being sort of like showy about it. Very cool. They called it Laradice, the locals. Really? Yeah, Laradice. Huh. Uh, Gonna have to check it out. Yeah, I was in uh, Landers, Wyoming. Uh, a couple of summers ago. I was pretty surprised at how uh, Wyoming really lives up to what you think Wyoming is going to be. It's a lot of horizon and a lot of flat until what I hear is is uh, what, like, um, Jackson Hole is supposed to be awesome. Um, But yeah, when I got there... Awesome, awesome in a, you know... Fancy. Malibu kind of way. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't go west of the four hundred five when I'm home. I try, try not to anyway. I, I go so far away from the four hundred five that I, I moved to Albania. So that's yeah. pretty far. It's really yeah. far. Yeah. Um, if it, if it gets any worse, I'm just gonna keep going, going east. L.A. is so fucked up, man. I, I mean, there are things I love about L.A., but I, I've been trying to arrange a podcast recording. Uh, I'm I'm going to be on her podcast with, okay. with uh, Abby Martin, who's okay. a journalist. And, yeah. Um, and we've been talking about this for about four months now, I'm trying to find a time where my schedule overlaps with her schedule so we could do this shit online. And it's all a pain in the ass because I've been in, you know, Georgia, was, Tanzania and Thailand, whatever. And we're like, well, I'm going to be in L.A. at the end of the month. You know, let's try to do it then. OK, great. So. We we talk about it. We're trying to work it out. I'm going to be in L.A. for a week. And we realize, like, she's in one part of L.A. I'm in an, I'm in Topanga. Okay. It's going to take, like, probably four-hour drive for yep. me to go to her or for her to come to me, you know, there and back. And it would have to be in the middle of the day. And it's going to just be, like, a whole... We end up... We're going to do it online anyway, even though we're both in L.A. In the same city, Because it's yeah. just too much of a fucking hassle. It's absolutely right, yeah. I, I don't understand... Well, I, so the city, from what I understand, because I, when I came back to Los Angeles after living abroad for the first time, I think I like I had felt very anxious about going back home other than just, like, going back to the States. But I was like, why don't I like it? And then I was like, 
I actually know nothing about it. I don't know anything about the history of Los Angeles. Mm. You've never and, seen Chinatown? And I had never seen Chinatown. Oh. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, research, research the shit out of it until I like it. You find a lot of interesting stuff, but you also find out, well, like, why it has such big problems. And right. it's like, basically 44 cities that were crammed together for water rights and it's also you know essentially like a swamp on the end of a desert that a large metropolitan city never should have existed right. in um and then they dammed yeah. up the river and turned right. it into like this concrete monstrosity they still call it the la river though. i know yeah it's it's ridiculous it's like a big sewer yeah it's like an open sewer and the what's the story about like in the 30s or 40s, was it, that they were going to set up this whole mass transit system? Yeah, it was the red car. And right. I don't know if this is apocrypha or not, but from what I understood, so the I believe it was uh, Henry Huntington of like Huntington Beach. He had this sort of idea for the city that it would be sort of the, the best of both worlds that you could have your almost sort of like pastoral semi-agrarian lifestyle in the you know in the the suburbs and then commute into the city by the red car and uh you know is the sort of like whiz bang future of los angeles um i guess some of those tracks still exist um and famously it's mentioned in who framed roger rabbit Mm. but uh from what i understand again don't know if this is a myth or not big automotive bought up the uh the red car tracks and we're like well you know selling cars is a lot cooler than right. than taking public transit guys right. yeah so, they bought it up and then they ran it into the ground yeah and, and that's that's why we have all those those damn freeways yeah i've heard that story as well and i think it's historically accurate i don't think it's apocryphal but it definitely works as a metaphor totally yeah you know i mean even if it's not if that's not the case, we can. I could name twenty other, other examples, examples where that's absolutely yeah. the case. Where it's like somebody had a, a somewhat decent idea of how to how to plan a city that that might have you know a great style of life in it, and then one business interest gets involved and like, but yeah. it would be a lot cooler for right. us if you didn't live like that. Yeah, it which would, is it would be great for you. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and now, now basically your, uh, your interview is totally on the moon and, uh, you're in the same city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So my folks are down in, uh, in, uh, uh, Palos Verdes, uh, shout out mom and dad. Uh, uh are they fans? Uh, no, I, I they, <laughs> my mom just listened to one of your podcasts though. And she oh, was like, God. I love him. Sounds great. Uh, I, I, which I, one? I made sure to, I chose, uh. Oh, you know, it's a great one. It's, I shared a lot. It wasn't is, one of the porn stars. It wasn't one of the porn stars, no. Um, that was, the, I, it, which was surprising because I had to go through a lot to not to, get, to a, not porn get star. a porn star. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, uh, I sent her, um, the, it was the essay, um, about ideas of fashion. You cannot say this. Oh, oh, what was Paul that? Graham. Yeah. Right. The That's taboos. Like, the, super cool. The, yeah, yeah. That was really interesting. He's, he's an interesting writer, Paul Graham. Yeah. I just thought it's such a good metaphor. The idea that, that, you know, looking back at the sort of fashion of your youth might also be looking back at the fashion of the ideas that you had in your youth. Right. And, and, and how can you tell what you're wrong about now? Oh, yeah. 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 That's an important thing. Which is difficult because it's like, I, I, you know, consider myself so wrong about so many things on a consistent basis and yet try to find some sort of solid ground to stand on philosophically or ethically in 
especially now in a world which which seems to to change every other week or so like yeah 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 man i it feels to me like we're circling the drain it just keeps getting faster and faster and weirder yeah. and weirder like we got to go through a wormhole at some point well this is this is the i, I mean you know to i've been reading about uh this idea that you know because obviously i sort of became obsessed with this the idea of like statehood um and i've been reading which i think is a fairly contentious book but it uh sort of formed a lot of the the like uh psychological dna of early silicon valley it's this book called uh the sovereign individual i was written in like 1997 and basically they're they're saying that like the age of the nation state is is dying um and what we're going to see after that is the sort of privatized citizenship as service type of of uh you know world where uh you are more aligned with instead of you know people who are citizens of the same nation more like affinity groups and mm. you can kind of see that now where it's like well somebody in Los Angeles presumably has a lot more in common with somebody in another major metropolis, um, right. like Berlin, um, then somebody who is maybe living in Los Angeles and then somebody who lives in, I don't know, Barstow, right? They're, they're not in the same affinity groups anymore. Right. And yet contextually totally in the same state in the same nation. Yeah. Well, physical presence is, is less and less meaningful yeah. in so many ways, mm-hmm. right? I mean, people are having online sex, they're working mm-hmm. remotely, um, you know, dating apps. It's like, do we really need uh, the whole virtual world seems to be in, infringing upon this world more and more? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, can your, your ability to live more in a sort of delusion of your own making is just so much easier mm-hmm. right now, right? Um, you know, if I, or if someone else is making, right, which is the, the really terrifying thing. And it's like, you know, there are, there's this con, this massive marketplace of ideas. And it's like the internet was, in so many different ways, it's supposed to democratize knowledge, and suddenly you have the Library of Alexandria at your fingertips, and and yet you know we're all we're all looking up videos of of people getting punched in the face indignantly or something like that, like no, cats, ca- cats, yeah, 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 cute, cute, cat <laughs> cute cats, uh, but nobody's you know learning learning ancient Greek, they're they're finding belief, beliefs that suit their version of reality right. um and uh and then sort of slowly melting into that which is is fascinating you know yeah yeah so okay let before we get deeper into this yeah. let's let's just sort of introduce listeners to who you are and what the fuck you're up to. Yeah. Who the fuck are you and what the fuck are you doing? That is a question. That's how I should open every podcast. (laughs) It's a good one, yeah. Welcome to Tangentially Speaking. Who the fuck are you, anyway? Yelling at strangers with Chris Ryan. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Dr. Chris Ryan. How did you get in here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, we had a lot of fun. Um, uh, Yeah, I I ask myself this. uh, This is a consistent question. Um, So, my name is Eric Zulager. Uh... And I'm 
I I always was your nickname Zoolander in high school. Man, when that came out, that movie came out when I was in high school, and, and things changed a lot. Like I immediately had a nickname, and there was no there was no way around did it. You, did you so you just embraced it? Yeah. Oh God, his name's Derek Zoolander. My name's Eric Zoolager. There was yeah. Like, yeah. There's no way around that. The the day the movie came out, the did next you do a day, lot of like voguing. I had to. Yeah, I had to oh, for okay. for for social status. Do you think your life would be different if that had never happened? Would you be less outgoing and and I mean, maybe star quality. Maybe this is why I moved abroad, just because uh, <laughs> away yeah. from a place where no one would make. Yeah, not many people have seen Zoolander in, in Albania, so like at no point, uh, and and I think my name pronounces differently over there. So right. so this is the subconscious re- reason that I moved abroad. I was like, I'm running away from that nickname, yeah, constantly. Fuck. <laughs> what's, what's the guy's name who made that? It's Ben Stiller. Ben right? Stiller. Yeah, he's so also it's good. a great movie. It's he's hilarious. So fucking yeah. funny. It could have been. It could have been way worse. Yeah, amazing. Impossible to make today. Now, yeah, absolutely impossible. I don't even know how they made it then. I mean, that whole like, you know, uh, you people, like, what do you? Who you calling you people? Do you remember that? Of course, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. in blackface. Like, how do you do that? You and yet he he remains uncancelled. What was the? What was the magic? Like who? Some kind of crazy Teflon. Yeah. Who's who's protecting him? Yeah, that's 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 it's the you know the the <laughs> the Voltaire quote like uh, find out who controls you by uh, finding out who you cannot criticize. Apparently, it's Robert Downey Jr. We cannot criticize Robert Downey Jr. Not for the not for blackface and trop- Tropic Thunder. Nobody can criticize Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. Although Robert Downey Jr. he's the guy who like was in prison. That's right. You know, like he he maybe it's because he did his. Yeah, he paid his dues. He paid his public menace dues. Right. So it's like, oh, you know, we can't cancel him. He's already, (laughs) like, shamed and. He's had enough. Right. Like, can you cancel Louis C.K. at this point? I feel, is he, is he resurrecting now? Or. Yeah, he's, he's resurrecting. He's got a movie coming out. Is it kind of. But he does it all through his website. Is it like Double Jeopardy where you can't get canceled twice? That's going to happen. That's going to happen at some point. I thought point. Double Jeopardy was the bonus round on Jeopardy. Wait, what am I thinking of? There's a double, thing... Double indent... No, double... Yeah, I know what you mean. Where you can't get... This shows how much I know about you the law. You can't be prosecuted for the same crime That's twice. right. Yeah. Is that called Double Jeopardy? Because I know Double Jeopardy's where you get the bonus round in Jeopardy. Yeah, that... that double which is is my my father's in uh, he's a he's a judge and i and and potentially going to disown me uh as as he hears as he hears of this people yelling out the correct i'm sure right yeah now. constantly double, double indemnity that also sounds like a movie from the 80s isn't it, it like a hitchcock movie yeah yeah. Oh. Now, man. yeah, we're really just pissing off Welcome a lot of to your tangentially audience. speaking. This is your first tangent. That was fun, guys. Let's go on another one. <laughs> Let's go. A tangent on a tangent. Um, this right, is a so meta tangent. Your name is yeah. Is my name is Eric Zulager. Zoolander. <laughs> God damn it. Damn, uh, it starts with a C. Uh, Eric Zulager. Uh, C. And then Z, uh, just because they, you know, Hungarian last name with no other connection to the land of Hungary. Should have changed your name when you got off Honestly, the Honestly, it is I mean, not, it is not, it's controversial to say, but I was like, man, through Ellis Island, couldn't they have just cleaned it up a yeah, little bit? Just trim it. I didn't need trim it. it around the edges. It's caused me nothing but trouble my entire life. Yeah. Like, yeah, why am I sitting at the front of the line? Oh, because it starts with a C, but sounds like a Z. Yeah. And I don't know, you maybe. look like a Joe Smith, I mean. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, that's. 
That's, I'm, I'm going to change my name to that one. So. Joe Smith. Yeah, yeah, totally. A Mormon. Witness protection program. <laughs> That's right. No one who mm-hmm. does. Okay, so your name. So I. All right, <laughs> we've made fun we, of my name. We enough. didn't get past your name. We haven't. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's my fault. Uh, so I mean, I, I I describe myself generally as a writer. Uh, so uh, which is is great. I think that you probably kind of have the same same uh, affliction that I do, where it's just like being a writer is just a really great way to have an excuse to do weird shit that you always thought was really neat. It's um, good for the tax write off. Oh, it's also yeah, absolutely everything. Yeah. I'm, Researching a book. What do you mean? What am I doing? You can't hear this, but there's a lot of like, you know, (laughs) air quotes going on. (laughs) I'm researching a book right now. Yeah. um, But I, so I I kind of, uh, I started writing uh, plays. I was in in theater a lot and uh, then just kind of wanted to be able to do a little bit of everything. So uh, I I got out of theater school and... um, I was like, damn, I need, I need some, some actual skills. Uh, and so I joined the Peace Corps, um, and went, got sent to Albania. So now, like, the actual skill I have is, like, speaking, uh, Albanian, which is kind of like a swing and a miss in terms of, like, hard knowledge. It's like the linguistic equivalent to going to theater school. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you're in Albania or, you know, right. you're in a play. It's, right. uh, like it's, it's super pretty useless. Specific. Yeah. Pretty much anywhere else. And it's, yeah. it's its own branch of the Indo-European language tree. So the tree. Peace Corps still exists. It does. Yeah. It's where they send, uh, liberal arts majors. To uh, uh, to terrorize uh, uh, emerging economies in developing countries. Yeah, so they they send you over there, and it's like, okay, you guys deal with him for a couple of years. Pretty well, yeah, yeah. It's like just don't start any wars is the main thing that they say to you. Yeah, uh, otherwise, you know, you pretty much just hang out um, and and try not to uh, create any geopolitical events. Um, do they? Do they choose where you go, or can you say, I'd like to go somewhere? It used to be kind of, from what I understood, like, basically they had a dart, and they had a map, and then you would just go there. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, now I think they changed it up a little bit, but basically, when I went, it was, so it was 2011-2013, I got sent to Albania, and it was, uh, like, they just said, and your country is Albania, and off I went. Um, and they choose what you do there. So I was an English teacher in, uh, in like a small village in, in the, the north of the country called, uh, Byram Surrey. I shouldn't say it's a village for anybody listening from Byram Surrey. It's a city, guys. It's a village. Uh, <laughs> and they nobody there speaks English anyway. That's right. I was a Let's shitty teacher. <laughs> I taught absolutely nobody English. So when you, so I'm just imagining the Peace Corps. Uh, you know, selection process. It sounds kind of like being drafted into the NBA. Like, am I going to LA yeah. or the Milwaukee Bucks? That's oh, right. Yeah. Fuck. They're looking for the greatest huggers in the country. <laughs> uh, they're looking for the most active listeners. Like, you have to be the best, uh, to, to get into the Peace Corps. Yeah. Actually, you just have to fill out a very long form. Um, and they pay you? Not really. No, it's like it's a uh, subsistence level. So, so it's keep like you alive. Basically, yeah. I lived in a in kind of a shed uh, in in uh, northern Albania for like two and a half years, uh, and I think I got like three hundred dollars a month, which is around the same level as the the people there. Oh. Uh, but that definitely like that got me the you know the the travel bug massively. Mm. And I was working on books while I was there, so I was writing a lot of speculative fiction, um, like you know sort of 
horror stuff and uh, and science fiction books. Um, so I, I did those, and I was really interested in in fiction for a long time. But then I, I was like, I like it's such a good excuse to be a writer and to want to travel to to you know off the beaten path places. So I was like, I just need to figure out a way to put these two things together uh and then nobody will question why i'm there you know right um so i i went to graduate school and in writing and uh it was in the uk so i would i would just kind of jump in for did you go to oxford or i did Cambridge? i did go to oxford you yeah fancy boy see there's no way to say it without like like sounding like a yeah. little bit kind of like a douche and i'm like well, you sounded like like the kind of guy who says yeah i went to college in uh in boston and like <laughs> and he's wearing a harvard sweatshirt you know mm-hmm. I'm currently, I'm currently yeah, wearing nothing but see. Oxford gear right know, now. Like Oxford I have Oxford shirt, socks. Oxford everything. I have my Oxford tattoo uh, prominently displayed, uh, yeah. which is on my chest. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to figure out the best way to say that at some point. Um, but, but I, so it was only part time program. So I, I basically jump in to, to England once every couple months, uh, sort of turn in my papers, take some classes, and then be out again. So, so you were basically in the Oxford Extension program. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. it's like Oxford summer school. Like yeah. my, I have. My sister took night classes at, right. at Harvard Extension. Totally. And my mom's got like a, my daughter went to Harvard bumper sticker on her car. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is not the first time in in this story that that I'll I'll have sort of just skated by with something you know particularly impressive happening. Um, that's what that's the art of traveling well though, right? Yeah, I mean you want to sort of get close. You don't want to like pay the full entrance price, right? Mm-hmm. But you still get the experience. Well, I think that's that's also you know getting the getting the full experience also takes takes time being in a place you have to too much trouble you think (laughs) this is this is coming from a man who's at the end of his his uh his globe trotting trip and and you're ready ready to leave okay airbnb life at this point but you asked me (laughs) you asked me how georgia was and i was like well i was really only there to like hang out in my apartment for a month yeah um no this is the way i look at life in general it's Mm. like i'm just passing through i don't really want to put too much effort into it yeah because you know, I'm not going to be here long. I I tend to think of like you know, especially setting down in places, and and trying to be a little bit a part of the furniture of that block for a little bit. Um, like I think I think that it, it, a lot of people who like to travel uh, have this condition that I've I've started to call like um, coffee shop envy, which is just like you see that sort of perfect block and a city somewhere in the world it's like oh that looks like a great bar it looks like a cool coffee shop this is a great walking street what is all what are all these things like i specifically want to live here for an entire lifetime but i know i can't right but getting to sort of like appreciate that block for just a little bit to to make that your sort of like casual day-to-day that that to me is always just like the most exciting thing that you get from and you can get that from any country you know like I think Americans tend to rhapsodize about like, oh, I've got to go to Paris and see the Champs-Élysées or, you know, Rome. But it's like so many places, they they just, they offer such wonderful experiences to you. Uh, And knowing that you're going to leave kind of makes you have to drain the marrow out of them a little bit more. Now, does this same philosophical approach apply to your dating life? Depends on if I'm single or not. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, sometimes it can. Um, because oftentimes I'm on the road. So it's like, uh, I, I did have, I had a partner while I was, uh, uh so, so the other thing I'm driving out is the, so I've been working on a, or, uh, I have a book that's coming out, uh, about living in unrecognized stateless countries. Um, right. and so while I was, while I was working on that book, I was with a partner, uh, throughout, uh, throughout the, it was about a year and a half I was living in only unrecognized nations, but she was, she was a, uh, Fulbright scholar in Bulgaria. And was she traveling with you? She was traveling with me when she could. Um, she was uh, she was a, a Fulbright scholar, so she was teaching English in Bulgaria, and which is like Peace Corps for smart people. The, yeah, way yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the it's the stronger, better, better, faster version <laughs> of literally faster too, because it's only one year, and, and I think you make a little bit more money. Yeah. Um. So uh, she was she was sort she of was the Lexus to your Toyota. Oh, I had what's what's below Toyota, <laughs> <laughs> like a, a, a 1997 Peugeot. Um, yeah, definitely. She's the Lexus. Uh, so she was, uh, we, we started dating in Los Angeles and she was heading out of the country to do, uh, do Fulbright. And, you know, I was sort of back writing, you know, sci-fi screenplays and, so like, after grad school, you went to went back to L.A. To, yeah, well, so this was during grad school. I did was. Did you grow up in L.A.? I did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Grew up in in uh, uh, repping the three one zero Palos Verdes Redondo Beach area. Oh right, you mentioned your parents. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I had yeah. I had gone sort of before, uh, like during uh, the the like right before grad school. Basically, I was uh, doing some like international reporting and just kind of trying to freelance my way around. Um, And I had gotten a job as a a geopolitical uh, analyst, which was sort of the, my, my official title, which was very, was very fancy. When I I got the email about it, my official title was intelligence analyst. Um, So it was, it was mostly uh, for a company called geopolitical futures. Shout out to George Friedman. Um, so that, the, the job was basically looking at various parts of the world that were potentially about to blow up or they were involved mm. in warfare in some respect. And we were sort of Interesting. trained to, to model what could happen in, in difficult situations where conflict could emerge. I've been, do you know this guy, Peter Zihan or something like that? No. He's got a book. The, I think it's just come out called The End of the World is Only the Beginning. I just listened to a great podcast episode. Yeah, and he's he's uh, uh, he's, he's definitely one of these forecasters. Right, yeah. yeah. That's his... Yeah, he's interesting. I, I, I've been watching a lot of his stuff online. Um, he's currently hiking for a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sick. In the Sierras. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Dope. Like he, you know, I like the way he did that. He had a book come out. Yeah. He did a fucking shit ton of of press, and he's just fucked off. And then he's like, "All right, oh yeah, you know, that's done. I'm gonna go walk for a month." The, there's another geopolitical guy, uh, uh, Robert Kaplan. He, I think he wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds think, familiar. Yeah, Robert Kaplan. He's he's one of these guys, very very sort of like obsessed with this idea of slow travel. Uh, you know, finding the sort of granular details and how they inform you know what's happening three thousand miles up. Right. Um. And and he he was the partner of the guy who who taught me to you know to think geopolitically. Uh. But for the most part, like when I was doing that, I was just writing writing reports about about terrorists and and the Islamic State and and you know what what they might get up to next. 
next. Um, which these rascals? Those rascals. Yeah, it, it made me like the shittiest person to sit next to at a bar because it's like all like you know the only thing that I could talk to you about is like oh, these missiles. Uh, what's gonna happen next? Did it stress you out? Like massively. Being, really? Yeah. Yeah. And just like your sense of risk got heightened a lot. Constantly. Yeah. yeah. And it, and I found myself at that point becoming. And it was, I think it was because of the work too. It was just like, I found myself becoming way more afraid of the world and just like not liking it anymore. Like mm. it just seemed like a consistently antagonistic place. Right. And, uh, the, the job was basically like, you know, you'd, you'd sort of cycle through all of these, these little bits of, of news stories and things that just hundreds of pieces of information that come in from all over the world. Right. Um, and try and find something that was, was relevant. And then you'd, you know, write this brief and then you'd have like a really cryptic phone call where you had to like say what was happening. And I think one day, uh, you know, the, uh, somebody was like, oh, hey, there's a, there's a, you know, Islamic State beheading video. Somebody has to watch this. And like, I knew that I was like n- kind of shitting the bed in, in terms of, of like the work, like they were not pleased with, with the work I was doing. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll do it. Uh, you know, so it's like, I was up at like four o'clock in the morning, just like watching beheading videos was just like never a great way to start your day. Ugh. I know it sucked, yeah. and there was some really interesting stuff about it, but the beheadings certainly not it. But like, you, know, you get to go to coffee at like seven o'clock, and somebody's like, "How's your day?" And I'm like, "Fucking awful. The I, the world is terrible, and everything is exploding all the time." So you you went to Oxford to get a, a, a what a master's degree? Or? Yeah, it's a master's degree in writing, in creative writing, creative writing, and mm-hmm. then you end up writing reports about Islamic beheading <laughs> yeah. videos. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Interesting career path. Well, well, that was just my job at the time. So the job was just. Um, oh, okay. Meanwhile, this wasn't like your first pro- professional no, writing. Job. No, no, oh, no, no, no. Okay, this is okay. this was right. just like kind of like paying my rent, uh, and then they they ended up sort of like liquidating a lot of the company. Um, shout out George Friedman. Um, Who's George Friedman? <laughs> he's the guy who who uh, like runs the company. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but. Uh, uh, we may want to bleep that out. Because you shouted out to him twice. Yeah, now. I know. Yeah, a lot he, of shouting. To he, <laughs> he's he's an interesting guy. Uh, maybe we should bleep that out. But um, you're making a lot of work for me here. I know. I know. <laughs> Let me say another thing. I don't want anyone to hear. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I, George Freeman's a yeah, great guy. He's super cool. I know. Honestly, him. so I, glad. I had sex with his wife and Did you? his daughter. Honestly, oh, his wife should, is. We should bleep that out. Meredith is a lovely lady. Meryl, now we're in trouble. <laughs> no, now we're really. He is fucked. a wonderful human. <laughs> All right, um, here, here, so, I'm make a note. Yeah, <laughs> leave that shit out. So, so yeah, I was working as a as an intelligence analyst, and I was just I was writing stuff about about um, you know uh, uh, Turkey's aims in the Middle East or or the Syrian refugee crisis, or just like larger reports about. Um, you know, primary exporter countries, which are again like it's super boring until it's not. Um, but I kind of hated the world at that point. Um, and you know, total blessing in the disguise. They they fired like half of the company, including me, and so I was just sort of left with this head full of knowledge about about you know geopolitics and and genuinely feeling pretty frightened about the world that we were in. But I'd been studying uh, the uh, the Kurdish region, the larger Kurdish uh, Kurdish region in in the Middle East, and is this known as Kurdistan? So yeah, it is, and this is this is like a, a fairly it's a 
it's a contentious issue to say even Kurdistan because yeah. the the larger Kurdish region is about like 40 million people. It's the largest unrecognized nation of people, um, but it's spread across, uh, uh, you know, many different countries. So southern Turkey, Syria, uh, northern Iraq, uh, even into Iran. Uh, so generally speaking, you'll, you'll talk about it as, as Kurdistan and the, at least the northern Iraqi part was, uh, uh, which is known as the Kurdistan Regional Govern, Governorate. Um, they were having a referendum on independence in, oh, I, it must have been 2017. Which um, the Americans supported at some point. We kind of supported it. As long as it was useful to us. Yeah, we supported it as, uh, we supported it as long as they were fighting the Islamic State. And right. then as soon as, uh, as soon as they, the, you know, the Islam- Islamic State was sort of on their heels, we were like, ah, oh, we got a lot of other stuff to do. Right. Good luck with independence. Right. Um, but yeah. they had this referendum coming up, and I was just sort of having that, like, you know, consistent moment where everything is sort of falling apart in your life, and you don't know what to do with yourself. And I was like, if I could go anywhere in the world to do anything in the world, what would I do? And I was like, well, I'd, I'd like to see a new country get made. I think that'd be pretty cool. So I just started looking up jobs in, in uh, Iraqi Kurdistan, because I wanted to be there for the referendum on independence. And I got a job as a fourth grade teacher after, like, a week I sent like one email and then immediately had a job and a uh, and a, uh, an apartment in in Erbil. Erbil, yeah, wow. yeah, interesting town. Um, uh, it's uh, it's huge, uh, and and dusty, and it's it feels a bit like L.A., like you know, hmm. massive car culture, uh, but it's like. It was known as the the sort of new Dubai for a long time because a lot of oil wealth was coming into the the Kurdish region and things were building up and sort of you have these these Dubai esque skyscraper projects that were being built that they, then the Islamic State came in and just ruined the party um, and nobody wanted to invest there anymore huh. and so they were like okay well. You know, you get there and, and there's just nothing but sort of like cranes that had stopped construction at the time. And I was mm. just, you know, I was I was there as a fourth grade teacher. Um, so I was just going to class every day and, and teaching teaching Kurdish and Iraqi and uh, and some international students, um, you know, English. But it was a, it was a sort of fancier school because they were able to bring over international teachers. Um, I was just uh, just today, actually, I was. Um Recording a podcast with a Turkish dude. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, who you might meet later. Oh, great. Uh, Ashkin. And um, we were talking about the the Kurds and and the because he did some political work with the Kurdish People's Party or yeah, something yeah, in yeah. Turkey. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and he was I asked him if they're as sort of liberal as my sense of the Kurds mm. is like that the women have equal rights and you know it's like one of the only populations in the Islamic world although they're not Islamic but in that part of the world um that that seems very progressive and he said that that the party was really progressive mm. and the political figures like they had a an openly gay candidate for mayor or something Interesting. yeah um but that the people themselves tend to be very traditional 
Yeah. But they support these progressive candidates. Was, was this in the Turkish Kurdish region? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I know I know very little about about them about that particular area, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, there's um. What the, was your sense of of Kurdish culture? Oh, incredibly warm, incredibly uh, you know, um, incredibly friendly people. I mean, it, it's like. Yeah, I feel like that's that's one of those things that you you say about pretty much every culture. Um, but well, but could you like could you date a Kurdish woman without getting her killed, or would like I didn't try. Um, but no, I think I think that probably be. I think that there'd be no more difference between between that and and you know dating anybody else in in a foreign country. Um, really? Because like if you so. dated a woman in India or Pakistan or well, I guess I never have. Um, yeah, you'd be never tried it. Like, Maybe that's the next book. <laughs> it's going to be a short book. D- dating, dating all over the world in terrifying countries to do so. Next yeah. up, Somalia. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. No. The, the but like the the Kurdish region of of uh, Iraq uh, is they as they tried to sort of break away. It was um, like it seemed that that they were. Backing, or at least they they kind of had to back the uh, the major politician there, who is a bit of a strong man, from what I understand. There's mm. conflict in the Iraqi Kurdistan region Correct. too, so up in the north, there's there's no love lost between the people in the south and the in Erbil. Um, but at the time, you know, like it seemed like what, what what they hoped would happen is like, okay, well let's let's sort of create this this you know progressive in a middle eastern way democracy in a middle eastern way um within the the region mm. um and it was i mean you know the the atmosphere around it was was totally thrilling like um it was and i think there's this this kind of like intoxication that comes from being around like hyper nationalism like you mm. you just sort of get swept up in in the zeitgeist in a certain way um like when there was the there were a couple rallies right before the referendum um and i i basically was just i was like i was a fourth grade teacher but i was trying to sort of be a fake journalist and be a travel writer while i was there and i was like okay well i gotta get into this rally but i have no credentials whatsoever so i'm just gonna go and and see if i can figure out a way to to get in or just like be near journalists and go in when they sit when they go in and i had a i had a sort of larger almost impressive looking camera on me um it wasn't an impressive camera at all but uh i had that and i had my lanyard that said like you know mr eric zulager fourth grade teacher and i was like i bet that'll look like a press credential if i just stand next to journalists so i stood next to these two japanese journalists and just thank god for them (laughs) they could have blown my cover at any point and i was just sort of holding up my uh uh, my, uh, you know, my, my school ID to everybody and they were just letting me pass, letting me pass, letting me pass. Um, I would just like hold up my camera, hold up my, my school ID. You didn't ID. even have a fake yeah. ID. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, I was That's literally hilarious. showing them like, like, oh, Mr. Eric Zulager, fourth and third grade homeroom teacher. <laughs> and then eventually you get in there and somebody, you know, threw, uh, uh, threw a scarf around my neck that had the, the flags of the, you know, the, the uh, independent Kurdistan on there. Or the independent Kurdistan regional governorate, and uh, the the leader Masoud Barzani is is speaking there, and I was like, in a certain way, trying to maintain as much you know insulation personally from this experience as possible. 
But when you have just a stadium of thousands of people all sort of like cheering and yelling in the same direction, you hear these sort of patriotic songs and like you you can't help but sort of be swept up in this, mm. you know, the the illusion that that somebody's trying to cast. Um, and it seemed like, you know, while you're at a rally like that, that even though this isn't my country, even though, you know, I'm American and I have, you know, as much a dog in the fight for a free and independent northern, uh, northern Iraqi Kurdistan as, as, you know, somebody from Ohio, I immediately felt sort of like this, this swelling of, of Kurdish nationalism mm. in me. And the idea, like, that eventually just became, well, like, it, how, how often is this the case with nations? Like, what, what other unrecognized nations are there? And is it, is it always this sort of, is it always a fight to make a country? Like, mm. and, and what does it take to just literally draw a damn line on a damn map? Yeah. Which usually it takes a lot of blood and treasure to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there are, there's so many concepts there I'd love to unpack. I don't want to I don't want to interrupt your narrative for the 15th time. Um, <laughs> Let's go back to Zoolander. <laughs> uh, but I I I really want to get into that feeling yeah. that you were just talking about, that intoxication and, totally. and sort of group identity and all that. Um but I also want to just clarify did did they win independence? No. no, not really. It it so what ended up happening was they had the referendum um they voted. Uh, they voted. Uh, uh, I can't remember the percentage, but uh, highly in in uh, uh, in favor of of leaving uh, federal Iraq. Federal Iraq did not was not super cool about that, so they ended up shutting down the airspace over uh, the the Kurdish region, uh, which <laughs> uh, which ended up actually being the reason that I ended up having to go to other unrecognized nations. Um, just to get out. Well, no. So it, it was, it, it, you know, it's funny. Like I, I, I never really thought that that you know Baghdad shutting down the airspace of northern Iraq was going to interact with my personal life, but it you know did. So I had a girlfriend in in um, in Bulgaria at the time, right? And I, I want to see her for Christmas, so I was like, okay, well, I can't fly out now um, because the airspace is shut down. So I was like, okay, well, I'll take uh, a bus across the border to a place called Sirnach in Turkey and then I'll fly from Turkey and that'll be fine really shady little airport like as soon as I got there somebody was like give me your weapons and I'm like I I have none and they're like come on I'm like I what do I look like somebody who has weapons because that's kind of kind of cool like all right yeah Yeah. so dangerous Mr. Eric fourth grade teacher trained assassin um so I, you know, I didn't really think anything of it, and we had a great time in in uh, uh, Bulgaria. And we decided to go to Istanbul for uh, for New Year's. It must have been, I guess, it's twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Um, but uh, we, as soon as we got to the border of Istanbul, taking the train from from Sofia, Bulgaria, the uh, the border guards uh, take us both off, and I was like, oh, this is this is new. And they're like, uh, yeah, we need to, we need to see both of you. And then they were like, okay, give us your, give me your camera and give me your phone. And, you know, we're both in different interrogation rooms at this point. And I was like, oh, man, really fucked this up. Uh, 
and I was like, okay, knowing full well is that... Is this the camera you were using in Turkey? Or no, in no, 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 different different no. one. Um, oh, wait, yes, yes, yeah, so it was the one that I was using in, uh, it was the one that I was using at the... At the at rallies. The, at the rally. Right. Foolishly, I didn't take that SIM card out, oh. so nothing but thousands of hyper-nationalist Kurdish referendum, hyper-patriotic Kurdish images are on there. And then they go, they go online, they Google me. I had like a, probably a two hour interrogation with this, with this border guard. Also, I felt like we were kind of buds by the end and I thought he was going to be like, all right, you know, just don't cause any trouble while you're in there. But, but they, they ended up being like, no, you've, you've written about Turkey before because I have published work online about, about Turkey. Um, I had those, those, that, uh, the photos full of, uh, of, you know, nationalistic Kurdish images. And so I was informed later by the the uh, American uh, um, consulate in Bulgaria that we got very lucky that we just got kicked out of the country and banned from the country. So I'm currently banned from Turkey. Um, and uh, so they sent us walking at like three o'clock in the morning back to Bulgaria. No shit. Yeah, we were fortunate that somebody, some some wonderful cab driver, was just passing through the border at the time because it would have been like eleven kilometers back to place called Svilingrad. Um so so yeah, but then my book was basically fucked at that point because I was like, well, I was going to write about, you know, um the the development of of, you know, uh the and you couldn't go back to northern because I couldn't fly, couldn't fly in, in and I couldn't travel over land through Turkey and I certainly couldn't go so to Iran. So you left for vacation but ended up never going back. Yeah, I oh, did. Oh, fuck. And all of my shit got taken. All of like so like every every you know uh, I had a tent there <laughs> so I, I basically like fortunately I had my laptop on me and I was like okay well I've got to sort of stitch this life together again mm-hmm. and I have to I have to you know work on this dissertation which I had said you know this is this is a travel book about you know finding out what a country is by living in a country that is trying to come into existence. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, well, where else? Like, where where else is this happening? Uh. And I had heard from um, I had heard from a journalist in in Iraq, um, probably in Erbil, uh, about this place called uh, Lieberland. And he's like, if you like unrecognized nations, you should get a load of Lieberland. And I was like, what is it? He's like, just look it up. It's the fir- world's first libertarian microstate that's run off of cryptocurrencies. And I was like. That sounds weird as shit. He's mm. like, I'll give you the president's number. And I was like, great. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good. So I, I was like, okay, well, I know about that one. And where is that? It's in, uh, it's between Croatia and, uh, and Serbia. It's on the, it's on the Danube River. It's like a seven by seven, or seven, not seven by seven centimeters or inches. Uh, it's, uh, it's an island, but it's basically empty at this point. And I was like, okay, I know about that. So that's an unrecognized nation. And I previously lived near Kosovo. So I was like, that's also, you know, a lot of the world doesn't recognize Kosovo and it's currently right. in a bit of upheaval. And I was like, okay, I can go back to Kosovo, you know, kind of stitch my life back together there. Um, and then I had always wanted to go to a place called Transnistria, which is uh, actually currently mm-hmm. in the news quite a bit because it's a, it's a sort of a slip of land right between uh, Eastern Ukraine or uh, Western Ukraine and Eastern Moldova, and it's kind of uh, like they've sort of kept the Soviet Union alive a little bit there. It's mm. staunchly Russian, but not Russia. Um, so I was like, okay, I've got a map now of 
sort of unrecognized nations and I could just go live in them for a little bit and and I'll keep bothering the president of Liberland and maybe maybe that'll that'll break through at some point. So I went back to Kosovo. Um, basically, I knocked on the door of a magazine there uh, and was like, hey, do you need anybody to do anything? I'm a writer. And then they're like, there's your desk. I was like, great. This is awesome. Um, so I was like, you know, just day one. Shout out to Kosovo 2.0. Great magazine. Amazing magazine. Um, they're just a remarkable sort of social uh, hub in creating this this new culture that's that's coming into Kosovo and weirdly at the same time uh it was the 10 year Kosovar anniversary so it had just it was mm. just about to come up so not only did I get this referendum in Iraqi Kurdistan but I uh I got to Kosovo and I was like okay well I get to see you know 10 years of independence uh I mean according to them uh you know Serbia would have very different different point of view on whether or not they're independent right and so again you know it's like this huge nationalistic rally there's 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 nothing but um you know there's there's parade floats there's this hyper nationalistic music i mean i i'm i speak albanian and and that's the uh that's the the language of the region too so i i felt that that same sort of stirring of like again it's not my country like it's in no way my country it's but it's something that i i could recognize i was feeling so deeply about that like if anybody told me that this state is unrecognized it, it would be enough to just like spit in their face and mm. you realize that like down that path lies so many things that you that that plug into your identity you know yeah, that's what I was thinking of earlier uh, about wanting to unpack that feeling a little bit. By the way, are, is the green and red light still working? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Okay, good. It's there. Um, yeah, there's this sense of uh, group identity. Well, and I, I was curious to ask you about that from an anthropological point of view. Right. Like, is is that... Is that something that that is is studied in anthropology? This this idea that obviously we're we're sort of and correct me if I'm wrong here, but like we're kind of hominid pack animals, yeah, yeah. That have some yeah. new software, and now yeah. we all need you know. Yeah, I, I mean, in psychology and, and anthropology, but I would say most of the most relevant research would be considered in psychology. The stuff of like. In group, out group identity, right? You know yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, and and from an anthropological perspective, it makes a lot of sense that that feeling would be deeply embedded in us because we are so deeply social uh, right. as a species, and our survival and flourishing as a species is uh, clearly related to the way that we integrate in these social groups. So, you know, a single human being on the African savanna is a pathetic meal. Uh, but, you know, 15 human beings can take down an elephant. Right. So, and, and defend and, and steal food from a pride of lions. Well, and that's you know? that the, the sort of, you know, the, that, that illusion of, of statehood, in my opinion, is like it's sort of it's it's a story that that people are consistently creating and perpetuating right and i think it's a response to that primal need yeah to be part of a unit 
of of beings bigger than us. So it expresses itself in, you know, fanatical allegiance to teams, uh, you know, uh, street gangs. You know, we're both from L.A. You 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 said shout out to the two hundred three or <laughs> yeah three one zero three yeah it's it's a totally arbitrary it's thing. So, it's so silly, and yet I like I do find myself like having this this weird dividing line and weird. Uh, to, I mean, you the, said about the four hundred five. Absolutely, you were like never go was the four hundred five. Absolutely not. I mean, there are yeah. these weird. <laughs> or you, you listen to like uh, I just said this earlier talking with Ashkin. We were talking about this group identity, and, yeah, um, because he was talking about. This extreme heartbreak that he felt uh, when he and his uh, partner broke up, and he and he was like, "Look, I know intellectually, I knew this wasn't a big deal, but I felt like I'm going to die alone." Yeah. There's this like expulsion terror that I think we feel, and I think it totally. goes back to like banishment from the tribe meant death. I think that's I think that you know in in the the context of being an American too, like I. I, I tend to have, you know, uh, try to have as much empathy as possible for for when when people feel like their identity is just no longer being represented by the story of the country. Mm. And now we have such a, a polarized atmosphere right. that absolutely nobody is being represented yeah. accurately. And and that we have this sort of hyper nostalgia for like you know Norman Rockwell esque America that never really existed. But that's that's something that that right. you know that people want to to bring back because it seems like their identity would be more dignified by living in that country instead of the reality that we actually live in. Right. Yeah. Like sort of embittered rural white people. Yeah. Exactly. Who, who are represented by the Norman Rockwell. Yeah. Yeah. I just read an essay before you got here. I was just reading it. Um, by Andrew Sullivan and he was talking about how you know he started with the line that you know the exception doesn't necessarily always prove the rule but it doesn't disprove the rule mm-hmm. and, and then he was talking about sexual politics mm-hmm. and and the sort of gender controversies going on in the US and he was saying like look normal is a non-judgmental concept like and he quoted is a really good line he quoted um norm mcdonald the comedian yeah who who said the term cisgender is designed to marginalize normal people okay interesting and basically so this essay that sullivan wrote was was saying like he's a i don't know if you know who he is he's a gay conservative political writer he went to oxford actually well he's a, you know he so long know. as it wasn't cambridge yeah um he's a really interesting guy he was one of the sort of leading uh intellectual leaders of um the the gay rights mm. the gay marriage movement yeah and, um, anyway so so he's saying like look i'm a gay dude uh, but I recognize that gay people represent less than 5% of the population. Right. Trans people represent less than 1% of the population. Mm-hmm. Cisgender people don't think about gender. Right. It's easy for them. They don't think about it. Yeah. It comes, the whole, their whole life just sort of falls into place. It's not an issue. Right. So people like me, I think about it. People who are trans think about it a lot. But what, what they're doing, the trans people and some gay people 
are we are projecting our obsession with this this issue because for us it's a very potent issue we're projecting that onto the culture and saying the whole fucking culture has to be designed around we exceptions mm. rather than designed around normalcy and, mm. he, and he makes a real point like i'm not saying normal is better i'm saying normal is more frequently represented in the population mm. yeah right overwhelmingly so and so it's a really interesting thing like you, you know i was thinking about it because when you were saying no one feels represented by the country it so- it feels like okay because of the internet these it's much easier for sort of fragments of the population to find one another and form their own yeah this is the, the nation it's the it's somehow. the affinity groups that that uh, that right. was were were mentioned yeah you can and that's that's one of the reasons that a lot of people te- well not a lot of people but some people uh, myself included tend to think that what we're what we're living through right now is is a sort of last gasp of of a world of of states the last gasp yeah. of the nation state and that's why we're seeing these sort of bifurcations into more and more specific states um, but as a state is created in this sort of life cycle of it, the birth is usually pretty violent. Um, and then after that, typically you have the people who are leading a revolution who now become, you know, it's like that, that old quote, uh, the day after the revolution, the, the, you know, greatest revolutionary becomes the staunchest conservative. Yeah. Um, and now you have to actually fight to, con- to, to construct a country right. in a state that is no longer in a revolution, especially no longer in a violent revolution. They say that that um, I, I I don't know who they is, but the the term about statehood that I've heard before is that uh, the the goal of statehood and, and governance in general is to uh, galvanize consent amongst the governed. And now you can do that in a lot of ways. So you need to get everybody more or less pointing the same direction to achieve potentially something greater than, you know, whatever the state itself wants. This, the, the sort of idea of the country. Um, you know, we all look back at like, oh, we landed on the moon. Like, well, why do we look at that? It's because it felt like something we were all doing together. Um, and you can generate consent through culture. You can generate consent oftentimes at the end of a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the great uh, and terrible autocracies of the world, they, they oftentimes, you know, are all stick, no carrot. Um, you can gen- generate consent by trying to negotiate between groups that are usually very disparate. But at the end of the day, you have to get people to accept enough of the same story so that they can move forward together. Yeah, I, I keep wanting to define terms, like move forward together. Uh, what is forward? I guess move in the direction of the leaders, basically. Right, because before you said like whatever it is the state wants. Yeah, but state a state is an abstraction, so a state can't I actually, want something. You, you mentioned something like this at one point too, and I think it's a it's a really good example. Um, I think didn't do you call uh, like uh, you were being very fucking punk rock and it was rad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm super. Punk I know rock. it. I know it. Um, uh, so it, you mentioned something about about corporations, large corporations, almost being like these um, super, super organisms. yeah super organisms. Yeah. Right. So you know you you fire the head of Shell. It's not like Shell is gone. Right. right? And 
nations, countries are, are similar. You know, yeah. they're, they're, the idea is so much more alive than any one person within it. So, and yeah. in geopolitical terms, you, uh, you know, when, when we talk about moving forward or, or changing direction, you usually look at it in terms of constraints and imperatives, right? So um, the, every nation dictated by their geography, um, and this is very like Jared Diamond um, point of view on it, um, but every nation more or less dictated by their geography has a certain amount of imperatives and it has a certain amount of constraints. Like, you know, uh, the United States was able to project power across the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean because it's got two oceans. Um, it's It was able to sort of have this robust industrial sector just due to the fact that there was a lot of land when we, uh, you know, made a lot of land for ourselves that nobody was living on previously. But there's navigable waterways. There's, you know, a, a great deal of resources. Um, and it's really difficult to right. invade us. Right. And which then is represented in the 20th century by the fact that every other industrial country was destroyed in World War II. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the. That was helpful. And yet we, you know, we sort of look at that like the sort of post World War II time. It's like, oh, I just wish we could go back to then. But it's like with the, with the, the dominant, like, you know, uh, Western democracy, capitalist, like, you know, point of view on things. Capital doesn't care about borders. Capital mm. will just go to wherever we can get the the lowest price point for labor and send it back to people wherever they live. So while we had this really robust middle class in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, that has been siloed away into other countries where the the price for labor is lower. And suddenly our GDP looks great because one Steve Jobs makes a trillion dollars. Right. Right. And it's it's just kind of a bullshit measure for like saying how totally. good we're doing. Yeah. Calling America the richest country in the world is absurd. Yeah. You is. Know? Denmark is far richer if you're looking at the quality of life of the average person. Well, and I I yeah, and that's that's one of those things that that I think is is baffling to a lot of folks like I've I've traveled through I think like 47 different countries and and lived in a lot of them for at least a, a you know, a month or two, sometimes more. Uh, the worst poverty I've ever seen is in the United States. Yeah. Um uh it's like bar none. If you go to Skid Row, like you you see uh, you know, you see an apocalypse. There are more homeless people in L.A. than in the entire country of Spain. Yeah. No doubt. I saw an, I saw an article about uh, – it was like front page of, of an Irish newspaper at one point. And it was like – it was like, you know, there are a couple hundred like rough sleepers on the streets. And, and we need to look at ourselves as a country to like, you know, find out why. And it's like a couple hundred? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that that goes to this sort of the sort of zeitgeist that the nation creates. Like the there's this this um, mythology of the of the United States where like if you don't do it alone, if you don't pull yourself up by the bootstraps, if you don't uh, you know pull yourself into from this this rags to riches story, well then you've you've failed. It's right. like it's like the I think it's the Mark Twain quote about like you know every every American is is a momentarily uh disgraced millionaire or right, something like that right, yeah. billionaire now for inflation yeah um but i mean that's yeah. the, you know seeing seeing that in the context of like what's the story uh you know iraqi kurdistan moving into an independent kurdistan what was the story that they needed to tell in order to get everybody to move towards the imperatives of that nation what was the story that kosovo needed to tell 
and after 10 years, was it working? Okay, so story. There's an important word. Yeah. So are you saying that a nation is essentially a narrative? Yeah. So a nation is defined by a shared narrative. I think so, yeah. Okay. And so most nations have shared history. They have shared religions. They have shared ethnicity. I don't know if that's true, though, because... Actually, most nations yeah. have lots of different ethnicities, and some of it intentionally because colonial powers like the U.S. and yep. England and France intentionally created so these fractures. You're nations. you're you're like you're basically hitting the same the same wall that like I have been hitting since I, I started doing doing this what research. What the fuck is a nation? That's exactly right. right. I I and I like I <laughs> wrote a book about about unrecognized nations, um, and I still don't know. It literally so every every you know so I did five unrecognized nations. Um, uh, it was Kurdistan, Kosovo, um, Transnistria, Lieberland. I ended up getting there, um, and northern Somalia, Somaliland. So they're unrecognized by whom? The majority of the world, I think, is probably the best. So like you know, right. essentially, if you have fifty one percent of the countries that are saying ah they are an or they are a nation, then sort of de facto they're a nation, but usually it's just the strongest nation. So something like Catalonia or the Basque perfect country. example, right? Yeah, right. there's and and Spain is just chock full of examples. Right. Um, uh, you know, Catalonia at the same time as as Kurdish, uh, uh, you know, the they were trying the referendum on Kurdish independence, and I remember seeing it in a, a coffee shop in in Erbil. Mm. There, I think, weren't um, politicians being arrested in Catalonia? Yeah, yeah, and for... then they fled to Belgium, right? Well, because the referendum was illegal. Yeah, you know, Madrid said no, this mm-hmm. is illegitimate. You can't have a referendum, and they're like, "Fuck it, we're doing it anyway." Right. And then, of course, the only people who came out to vote were the people who supported the referendum. Right. So then the vote was like, you know, 80 percent in favor or something, which is not, a you know, an accurate assessment of the, the will of the people of Catalonia. And what essentially you're seeing when you see these things is you're seeing a, a, an attempt to change the story that we all agree that we all believe. Right. Right. It's like the, you know, the whole revolutionary or, you know, terrorist freedom fighter thing. Like one right. man's. Right. You know, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And and as they attempt to change that story, it really just depends on whether they're successful or not. Um, you know, Kosovo was ostensibly successful. Um, a, a large portion of the world uh, respects the autonomy of, of Kosovo. Serbia doesn't. A lot of uh, a lot of the uh, uh, sort of Slavic leaning nations don't respect the uh, autonomy of Kosovo, but they tolerate it because it's become a geopolitical flashpoint at this mm. point um but then you have a place like so transnistria was next and transnistria is almost like this you know it, it's sort of calcified into its own culture because it's not like it's only relevant in a time of of warfare right so right, right now as there's war in ukraine suddenly having this russian statelet Right on the border of Ukraine and only, you know, an hour and a half from Odessa becomes really, really important. And it's protected by Russian tanks. So there's this Russian regular soldiers there. Like as you go through the border, you you have to pass through Russian soldiers. Um, and mm. weirdly, while I was doing while I was traveling there, so I lived there for like a month and a half, two months. Um, really strange place. Super weird. Um, but they had they had the Russian elections. Right. And so you can't necessarily, according to Moldovan law, you can't have elections for another country 
you know, in your country. But of course, that didn't really stop Transnistria. And Transnistria, it's also known as Prednistrovia, but I'll use Transnistria. Um, so Transnistria decided to go ahead with that because even though their votes, like, maybe are, maybe aren't counted amongst the Russian election, not that it mattered much, you know, Putin. Are any votes counted? <laughs> it's a really good question. And and that, that goes to the, the story of, like, how how do you generate consent amongst the governed, right? Right. Do I feel like I have a voice? Because making people feel like they have a voice is a great way to get generate consent from them. Mm. Um, and, you know, in strongman environments, it's like, oh, well, I'll just point a gun at you. You'll do what you say. Weirdly, um, Transnistria is more or less run by a supermarket brand. <laughs> really? It's no shit. <laughs> it's no shit. It's like Disney World? It, it does feel a bit like Disney World, actually. Wow. Yeah. It kind of feels like Legoland. If, if, uh, Do if, they have really good supermarkets? Uh, honestly, their pickles are really good. Pickles. Um, yeah, really good pickles. So they basically, from what I understand, um, so they're run by a supermarket chain, basically uh, a, a group of oligarchs who own... Uh, a uh, you know uh, large interest in many of the industries of the country, and one of them is the sheriff supermarket. The, as the story goes, in you know the '90s when the Soviet Union fell, basically the people who take took over were uh, you know military police and and organized crime. Mm-hmm. So some combination of this ended up becoming the power structure of Transnistria. Now, Transnistria didn't want to become a part of Moldova because they were like, look, we're Russian speaking. We want to keep the Soviet Union going, keep Stalin where he is, keep Lenin where he is statue wise. Um, They look cool. Um, We're just going to keep this going. So they fought Moldova for their ostensible independence. and they were worried about uh, Romania because Moldovans tend to they, well they speak Romanian Moldovan and Romanian it's a sort of interoperable language from my understand there's a lot of angry Moldovans right now and Romanians um, but they fought for this this slip of land which is about five hundred thousand people uh, along the Dniester River hence Transnistria and the power structure that took hold were the people who could control the business interests in the area. So you have sheriff supermarkets, which is basically like a really creepy Soviet Walmart that sells everything. You have a sheriff stadium uh, with a sheriff football team. Um, And like, it's like Texas sheriff. That's exactly right. So they were like, what are we going to call ourselves? This sort of group of oligarchs is like, what are we going to call ourselves? We're, you know, we're, we're becoming legitimate businessmen right now. And they're like, well, we're the sheriffs of this town. Mm -hmm. Granted, this is not an exact transcript of their meeting, but from my, (laughs) from what I understand, but that's how they spell it. It's not Sharif. No, no, no. It is, it is Western sheriff star. And that's the logo. It's the sheriff star. And so you'll see like sheriff gyms. You'll see sheriff. Of gas stations, sheriff everywhere you go. So, like, everything looks like a, a you know Soviet block. They've uh, you know uh, they've got a statue of Lenin and and uh, sort of like old Mig taking off in the in the capital of Tiraspol. Um, you're sort of followed everywhere, uh, mm. and and it, it very creepy vibes. And anybody who seems to wash up in Transnistria because it's often kind of, at times called the uh, the black hole of Europe. Because there's no extradition from mm. the FBI. So if you want to kind of get lost for a while, you can always go to Tiraspol. Right. 
Yeah, and they have their own money, which know. is Thanks. yeah, yeah. That I mean, you know, you, if you guys need a visa-free stay, go yeah. to the black hole of Europe. Yeah, it's great for digital nomads. <laughs> well, there were weird digital nomads there. So, really? like what I heard, Bitcoin this is billionaires. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So this is this is a this is a rumor. I never met him, but I do believe it, and I heard it from quite a few people. Apparently, the dude who runs the back end of the white nationalist online newspaper, the Daily Stormer, mm. he apparently lives in Tiraspol. Nice. I didn't quite seek him out because it wasn't really on the whole stateless country jamboree tour that I was on. Um, but Did you get to Kaliningrad? No, no. Um, and technically, that'd be an enclave. Because uh, yeah. it is part of Russia. Part of Russia, yeah. yeah. Separate, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, yeah, they're they're an enclave. So I, I, if if anything was sort of recognized generally as as a a country or a part of a country as it sort of wasn't on the map and i also wanted to stay away from these these unrecognized countries that so much has been written about um and because the last thing that you know palestine needs is some dude from los angeles coming in and being like you know what guys i think i figured it out yeah you know um, what you are you know what your problem is <laughs> guys i got it that's a have you ever so, been to the 405? God, I yeah, hate this traffic. It's terrible. Yeah. So, or uh, like also Tibet. Yeah. Like well, well that's what I was going to say. I mean, there's a difference between a country that appears to exist physically but isn't recognized as opposed to a nation within a country. Totally. That's yeah. claiming independence, but the over. The country within it's embedded doesn't recognize it. Like yeah. Scotland or. Totally. Or Tibet. Yeah, yeah. same same deal or with Catalonia. your, yeah, your yeah. Spanish example works there too. And also yeah. Romania, there's there's separatist movements throughout Romania. I mean there's separatist movements in the United States. Cascadia, uh India. Jefferson. Tribal totally. re- revolutions going on. Yeah. So Cascadia. it's like Cascadia. Yeah, have you ever heard of Texas. Cascadia? Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, the, the Northwest. Yeah, the Cal Exit movement, yeah. the Texas half, half the eastern half of Oregon wants yeah. out. Like this, they want to join Idaho, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who and the fuck wants to join Idaho? Well, there, I've heard that there's this, uh, you know, because I, I constantly keep my ear to the ground about these like separationist movements because I like because now I'm that guy at, at the bar. I'm like, do you know what statecraft actually is? Um, super fun. Um, but I, I hear that that Idaho, especially northern Idaho, is is sort of home to a lot of these secessionist movements, um, and it's because of how defensible the territory is and how many sort of natural resources there are there. Mm. Um, also, if you know there's a sort of shit hit the, hits the fan moment, they can run across the border to Canada. Um, oh yeah, but I've, I love I've how heard Americans this. always say that, like I'll just go to Canada. Yeah, you ever try to immigrate to Canada? It's they, you ever try to immigrate? Yeah, they're not standing up there saying, "Hey, you're." American, welcome. Come on yeah. in. We, no. It's it, or or just like live anywhere for an extended period of time. It's like yeah, there those those rules are there are rules pretty important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in like Transnistria had you had to so you had to get get like basically a passport within a passport. They gave you some slip of paper. So mm. I don't think you were like they didn't stamp my passport. To say okay, now you're in Transnistria. But they uh, they gave me some slip of paper and they're like this has to be on you at all times. And also, we have to know where you're staying. Um, mm. So I ended up staying at this this really shitty hostel um, and sharing a bunk bed with a, a white supremacist from a hostile hostel, very hostile hostel. Yeah, um, yeah. And he's just like a random dude from Santa Rosa who is a programmer and and uh, 
really big fan of uh, Nazism. Oh, that's how you heard about the white supremacist guy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. Nice. He, he and I locked horns a couple of times because he was sort of... Uh, I mean, for obvious reasons, uh, not not the least withstanding that we were sharing a bunk bed, but it was the only place I could afford, and I couldn't. Uh, you were sharing a bunk bed. He was, uh, yeah. Well, I, technically, we were sharing a room. He had the bottom bunk on one side. I had the bottom bunk on the other side. Oh. Um, yeah. So he he and I, because from what I could gather, he was sort of going into Ukraine to to be a bit of a sex tourist, and you know, he was mouthing off about about the Middle East, and I was like this. You know, after after way too much cheap vodka, he and I got into it, and I was just like, "Why, why are you here?" And he's like, "Well, I just want to take a pretty girl out. Like, if you're a journalist, you just want to take pictures of dead bodies. Like, we're not this, we're not any different." And I was like, "Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is the most vile <laughs> interaction that I've had in this like eight by eight hostel room." Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, it was like a, a cellmate. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend going to Tiraspol, Transnistria. There's some really beautiful places there. There's some. I like, thought you were gonna say beautiful women. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Stayed away from if them. If you're going to be a sex tourist, Transnistria mm-hmm. is the place to That's go. That's really what my book is about. It's just like, huh, I did sex tourism, and you can too. Yeah. Yet yeah. another reason I'm never running for president. A dummy's guide to, to, sex, to tourism. sex tourism. Yeah. So what's your book called? It's called You Are Not Here. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. You told me that. Yes. You Are Not Here. Travels through countries that don't exist. Don't be here now. <laughs> yeah. Take that, Ram Dass. <laughs> You, I, I've always wanted to have a open a bar called Beer Now. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Except very few people. Would I was get gonna it. say. I feel like I feel like the the people that that would would gravitate towards it. They don't drink enough. No, absolutely yeah, not. They're Buddhists. It'd have to be kombucha. Like you only had and like really soft kombucha. <laughs> like the you're just flaccid. You're just downright flaccid. You're selling empty bottles that smell of kombucha that you just That's whispered right. the word kombucha yeah. near at one point. Yeah, Might, maybe you could sell those in Venice. Yeah, oh, I'm sure you could. You could sell anything. Arowan. Yeah. That's why I don't go west of the 405. Yeah. Absolutely not. That's why I just keep going in state unrecognized nations. I read something recently. I don't remember what it was right now but it was a really good essay um talking about how the united states is fracturing and will continue to fracture it may have been in the atlantic actually but in any case the 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 thesis was that the united states is a totally artificial creation as mm. a nation yeah. because it's taken these two distinct cultures um you know as represented in the civil war industrial north progressive higher education levels blah 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 uh more agricultural south lower education levels uh commitment to slavery and racism Mm. and white supremacy and all that and it sort of stitched them together with the massive investments in post-World War II, hmm. uh, where there's all this money coming in and all this money went into education and highway systems and, you know, um, telephone uh, networks and all this kind of stuff. So it sort of artificially created this nation out of these two warring sides and what's happened now is that that money, that investment has dried up. Mm. And as as those tributaries of cash start to dry up and recede, 
those sort of pre-existing fissures are coming to the surface again. Mm. And so it makes total sense that the United States is splitting into these two nations. Mm. Um, but it's interesting now because it isn't geographic, right? Because like we were saying before, you know, you got Charleston, uh, you know, you got these little islands of yeah, you know, Fargo, Fargo, Fargo and North Dakota and, Lar- uh, and Laramie. Laramie, Wyoming and, right. and like Austin and, so and what, Athens, Georgia. So how's it going to work? Like if this thesis is correct, that these were never meant to be joined into one nation because, you know, using your terminology, the narrative, there yeah. is no we're not telling the same story. And we really never have. Well, I think that I, I think that there's the. The, you know the the larger the larger issue that I have with that that thesis is that every country is made up, right. <laughs> you know, like right. every every country is an artificial creation. It's just a matter of how far back you want to go, right? You know, so much of of Eastern Europe was a part of the Ottoman Empire at one point. You know, right. come nineteen nineteen, well, that just it's not a thing anymore. Right. You know, and guess what? We have to come up with a national character now. Um, Do we? Oh, I'm just saying if I'm making a country out of the Ottoman oh, Empire. Okay, okay. Uh, if you ha- if you're if you're making a nation, I think that like the 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 ingredients are, yeah, you probably need to have this sort of you need to create the mythology around it. You right. you have to because otherwise, you know, part of the part of the the deal with with a country is the fact that you are going to do things for people that you've never met. You know, my tax dollars future will... Future generations. Future generations. Or we're going to pro- project democracy into the world. Absolutely. Right. So when, when the U.S. landed on the moon, we all landed on the moon, like, at one point. And there's, there's like, I, it's such a sort of, like, intellectually weak argument that people make but it's it's one that i always i always notice when people make it which is just like we can land on the moon but we can't solve hunger it's like these are two totally different tasks like but the reason that that the space race was this galvanizing event was because everybody felt like they were a part of it Mm. they became galvanized in something that seemed largely positive that wasn't a war that wasn't, you know, um, uh, people paying with with blood and treasure to assert a new story on a part of the world that nobody has ever been to before and doesn't understand anything about. Right. And I, I think that's one of the only times in in American history where that was that was really the case. Um, so what's happening? You, you touched on this earlier, but I'm I'm curious to dig deeper into your thoughts as to what's happening now. What. Because you said we're passing through the final stages of the the nation state. Yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so that... So what's going to replace it? Well, from... Uh, there's there's sort of two points of view that, that usually come across. And it's like, one of them is the sort of hardcore geopolitical point of view. And uh, that point of view usually states that, uh, you know, the uh, empires will sort of ebb and flow back into the geographic positions they once held. You know, we can see right now that, um, you know, Turkey is asserting its power in northern Syria. It's not uh, called Turkey anymore. It isn't? What is it? Turkey. Turkey? Are yeah. we calling it Turkey now? Did you hear that? They, they cha- banned me. No. Cha- oh, yeah. They yeah. changed their name. Whatever, Turkey. Yeah. I still call I'm banned Burma. from your country. Country. Let Fuck me back Myanmar. in. There you go. There you go. Yeah, Erdogan's a listener. I get emails. This is from going to make the you the most enemies talking about all these unrecognized <laughs> nations because <laughs> yeah. it definitely puts you on a certain like 
and I, I, I put in the front piece of the book that I'm like, look, I, I know I'm not going to make any friends, you know, writing about this stuff because if you're saying, you know, I try not to say, well, this per, this nation deserves statehood or not, but like even by talking about it, even by saying Kosovo, you are recognizing it. Exactly. Right. I mean, by saying the word Kosovo, there's, there's a lot of Serbs out there who are saying, well, Kosovo is Serbia. I'm like, it almost as a knee jerk reaction. And it's like, I, I understand how the pull of their national story is is going against the the national story of Kosovo and these two we can't hold these two ideas in in our head at the same time. Am I being facetious or is there a parallel between that and trans women are women? I don't know. Getting back to Andrew Sullivan's piece because yeah. it, it feels like you know saying Kosovo exists. And a Serbian person saying, no, Kosovo is Serbia, is similar to a trans woman saying, I exist, and someone saying, no, you've got to take yeah. you're a man. I, I think you're part of this category. Yeah, I think that that I think that that is is actually a really good example, because it's like. One of the things that I notice is, is like when you are talking about somebody's self identification, when you're when somebody is saying I identify as right. a Kosovar, uh, you know, a, a woman uh, that's that's also trans, I identify this thing. Then somebody from outside of you says, "No, you're not." Right, yeah, and and that's, also, yeah, like it's a form of oppression. It, absolutely right. I mean, there there is uh, there's in geopolitics anyway. There's I always think of of geopolitical events as bad jokes. Like we we know what the setup to these things look like, right? Mm. And then we all we also know what the punchline is. You know, in um, uh, you know, if you want a recipe for a really great uh, uh, insurgency, uh, or you know, for uh, is yeah, marginalize a, a uh, marginalize a, a cultural group within your borders. Uh, make sure that they're not allowed to speak their own language. Make sure that they're not allowed to have their own uh, uh, places of worship. Make sure that they can only deal with a cultural group that is slightly different than them because you're trying to assert power on them. You're probably going to get an insurgency and. That's a tale as old as time in terms of Kosovo, in terms of uh, of Northern Ireland, in terms of Lebanon. Yeah, there yeah. it's it's bad jokes. Uh, Kurdistan or you know the the Kurdish region as well. You we know the recipe for these things, and we know how violence kicks off, and yet we you know keep as they say you know history doesn't repeat itself, but it always rhymes. You know. Yeah, but but what's the alternative to that? I mean, you know, if you look at it from the, the sort of Han Chinese perspective, hmm. you say, well, you know, we need to stamp out Tibetan independence because yeah. if we don't, then we lose control of this very valuable, strategically located yeah. you know, piece of land. Um, and so so we're going to flood it with Han Chinese. We're going to stop them from speaking the language. Sure. We're going to like burn down the monasteries. Like, what's the alternative? The alternative is to allow independence, right? And then what does no one wants to do? But what does independence mean in a deeply interconnected world, right? You know, well, it means that then Tibet can say, yes, Americans, you can set up an air base here. Sure. You know, yeah. But which is what which is what's going on in Ukraine right right. now, right? Like it means NATO can come in, you know, you can take the land, but can you keep it is a good question, too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, will that be tolerated there? And and then so. So it becomes how valuable is the land that you're on? Like how many resources do you have? In the in the 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 um, 
in the case of Liberland, this this crypto nation that that I ended up going to, nobody wanted it. The reason that they could set up a nation there, um, and they're six years old now. Uh, I was at their their thirty year anniversary. Uh, that's when I met the president of, of Liberland and and all of the all the Liberland folks. Um, uh, the Liberlanders, I, the Liberla- Liberlandians. I think it's Liberlandians. <laughs> Because I did ask this question probably to the president at one point. Um, but, you know, the the reason that they were able to do it, and it's like, in one way, it's really fucking goofy that, like, this Bitcoin millionaire was just like, well, uh, nobody wants this land. When Yugoslavia fell, uh, this island between Croatia and Serbia on the Danube River was declared no man's land. Hmm. And through some, you know loophole in treaties he's like oh i can buy it and just make a nation there who did he buy it from i don't remember i need to ask that him i've got i've got his te- i've got his, his number i can text him and, and ask him um shout out to vigilica president of Liberland. <laughs> <laughs> so i basically like when i went there i kind of assumed that it'd be like a little bit like burning man hippies just sort of like lounging on a beach being like yeah this is our nation bro like get on the slack line um but as it turned out, it was like a bunch of hardcore crypto nerds who were like, well, look, if we can, if we can sort of finance ourselves out of the normal, well, the, the legacy financial system, right? If we can use Bitcoin to purchase real land and we can, we can, you know, sort of operate as, as almost like this visa free trade zone in Europe. Well, what's to stop us from making our own country? And so I eventually, after bothering the president of Liberland for months while I was in Transnistria, while I was in Kosovo, I would just like send him like polite but firm emails until like he just had enough. And he was like, okay, just if you can get here to Novi Sad, Serbia by like this date, I'll talk to you. It's kind of like how this podcast came to be. Polite. You know what, actually? (laughs) Holy shit. You know what? What? I fucking <laughs> holy shit! I texted you that this is back in 2018 mm. while I was on the damn train through Romania to Liberland. Really? That is exactly right. You're like this shit works. These firm but uh, yeah, polite but firm emails. They're really the success <laughs> secret to all. I of don't my even success. remember your emails. I'm just joking. But but that's absolutely it was yeah. it was the I, I had sent you one uh one message on Instagram and I was like why you know you have to especially if you're on the road all the damn time you're like. You have to ask yourself, like, why the fuck am I here? Constantly. Ask it all the time. I know. And I was like, oh, you know, Chris Ryan's book was like, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. It's worth worth asking the question. Right. You know, it's worth running down these things and, and sort of trying to poke holes in the common narrative. And the common narrative is that you are immutably a part of this nation that you just happen to be born into. Right. And guess what? It's the best fucking one in the world. Always. No matter yeah. what, it is yeah. the best one. And you're sold that. And, and part of it is like, you know, these sort of goofy rituals that like, you know, we have people will, will, you know, enact violence over over somebody, you know, trampling on or burning the American flag. And it's not about the fact that they're destroying an item. It's about the fact that that it feels like part of that person's identity is being crushed mm. within these symbols. And that's why that's why the story is so powerful. The story of a nation state is so powerful. But hasn't that that structure that that uh, paradigm of the nation state i often think that it's already 
um, expired. And it's only the sort of ignorant working. And, and when I say ignorant, I don't mean stupid. I mean, I mean, the 95 percent of us who are just trying to live our fucking lives and don't really control anything and know what's going on. Yeah, it, it applies to us. But I, I often look at it as professional sports. Right. It's like, OK, I'm a Bulls fan. You're a fucking Celtics fan yeah. whatever. But the players, the coaches, the owners, the executives of the team, they don't give a fuck. It's a business. They're running a business. And if the assistant coach of the Bulls gets offered more money to go coach the Lakers, he's gone. And if Michael Jordan got more money to go play for the fucking Atlanta Hawks, he's gone. It doesn't the the identity thing is for the the punters. It's yeah. for the, the common people. The people in charge don't give a fuck. I think you're absolutely right. Right? Well, so so billionaires, Jeff Bezos is an American. Yeah. Right? Jeff Bezos doesn't give a fuck. He's got companies and properties all over the world. He, he I don't know how many passports he's got. So the idea that these companies are Amer- Exxon's an American company or Apple's an American company. Bullshit. It's all it's all a fiction. Well, this is this is the the, the post state world, right? This right. is this is what they talk about in the sovereign individual that will see the rise of people like like Jeff Be- Bezos is like these people who are sort of outside of the state based matrix, and and that's essentially what Liberland is trying to create. They're like, look, we know that there needs to be a physical nation state that you are a part of but what if we create one that is such a libertarian paradise uh air quotes air quotes um it's such a you know a laissez-faire atmosphere that you can be from this place but you can also be from nowhere if you want to do business without taxes i think they do they do like donation based taxes huh. right um granted it's more or less an empty island still. Yeah. Um, but even emptier now that Bitcoin's crashed. Uh, yeah. Well, they also have the Liberland merit. So I've got about 6,000 of those because I did end up working for oh, Liberland. Nice. nice. Yeah. The, uh, uh, so when I was, you know, basically what, what ended up happening was the, I went to this, this hotel in Novi Sad, um, kind of assuming that it was just going to be a bunch Novi of Novi Sad, Novi Sad, Serbia. Oh. Uh, cause the only way to get to Liberland is, uh, going up through northern, northern Serbia and taking a bunch of boats to get to the island. And it's like three hour boat ride. Hmm. It's not exactly anybody and in anybody's backyard. So they were having this big, uh, conference, uh, about cryptocurrencies. Never heard anything about cryptocurrencies. Didn't know a damn thing about it at the time. Um, but it's just a bunch of crypto millionaires and, and, potentially billionaires just in this room talking about about how how sick blockchain is um and again i was just sitting in the lobby because i couldn't afford going to the actual conference bothering the president of liberland constantly polite but firm emails um just bombarding him with like hey just checking in um and just, just what's the phrase i'm just uh nudging this up to the yeah. top of your inbox yeah or just some shit like that. i'm just gonna circle back on this circle hey back. how's it yeah, going i love that one me again just um circling back on that. and so he he sent me an email back and he's like i'm sending the secretary of state out to talk to you and i was like secretary of state yeah so uh enter the secretary of state who is like this very well-spoken genteel uh Englishman who presumably worked for the the Queen of England in some respect. Um, he's uh, like I think he was like the personal attaché to the Queen of England, and I was like, 
you you seem like a serious ass motherfucker. Like, I, are you are you starting a country with these nerds? And so we talked for like three hours about about unrecognized nations and and what it means to be a nation. And and I was like, let me ask you a real quick question. Like, why are you doing this? Like, you probably have your plate pretty full. Or like, he's a he's a doctor too. Like, I'm like you you're pretty high up there, fancy guy. Like, why are you doing this? And he's like, it's exciting. It's fun. And I was like, after coming through, you know, uh, northern Iraq, the Kurdish region, uh, Kosovo, Transnistria, it's just nothing but stories of, of nationalism and bloodshed and trying to justify the lives that were lost and trying to justify all of the, the thousands of dollars that were spent. And then to sit across from somebody who's like, yeah, it's just fun to make your own nation. It just sort of blew my mind. And I'm like, is one way better than the other? Like, is it more legitimate if people had to die to make this nation? Or is it more mm. legitimate that some, you know, crackpot Bitcoin millionaire found a piece of land that nobody really wanted and decided to set up shop there? And I don't know. Mm. Like, the the story of, of nation building is usually one of warfare. And, and, and... Then we write songs about how glorious that warfare was, and right. we, we construct monuments to the war dead because and narratives that include martyrs and massacres and and acts of great bravery and self sacrifice. Yeah, I would say it's a stronger narrative than you know a bunch of nerds totally having fun. At well, the Man. the narrative. I mean, you know, in a in a certain in a certain magical way like the narrative if you if you have sacrifice in the narrative if you have blood in the game then suddenly it's i think uh, daniel kahneman calls it the our children haven't died in vain fallacy or good money after bad like well we have to make this nation state work because you know my son died for it right like my son didn't die because he was far, uh, fighting a war against an enemy right. he died for this nation he, he died, died for, for the that future flag that you're trampling that's right yeah, yeah. and so the the contribution of blood actually makes it more real you know this this entire conversation and it seems like this project that you're that you've been working on for so long is about man's search for meaning totally right i mean isn't that that's what a nation is is it's like a receptacle of meaning somehow that somehow somehow what what i do makes it's not it's not me achieving it it's me achieving it as an american somewhat right some somehow every every accomplishment of and there's a there's a sort of double talk that goes here where it's like somehow every accomplishment from somebody of somebody from your nation your town your street it is also a part of you in a certain respect and that is such a powerful and potent thing but at the same time we can equally say well the bad things they done they've done the the shadowy parts of history well I, that wasn't me right you know right i i i definitely landed on the moon but i never invaded iraq right like there's there's some american comedian i forget who it is maybe it's louis ck i forget but he he talks about how people are like you know well we went out there and you know we defended Europe from the Nazis. He's like oh yeah did we do that? Was that us, Bob? Who is that? Do you remember? I don't know. I know Who's exactly that comedian. The, I know exactly like, what you're talking cause about. Because all I remember is we got really stoned on Thursday and I woke up Sunday and that, oh, 
Fuck, did we go did... out and defend Europe? To... Yeah. Was that is that Bill Burr? I don't. Oh man, yeah, I know. somebody's listening to it right now and knows know. exactly who that is. Well, it's a great bit. It's a great bit. And the... I, who the and I can like hear it in my head, but I can't. Well, it's so closely echoes. Could be Bill Burr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's exactly the point, right? Yeah. Yeah. The point is that, like, if you sort of, like, like I said, there, you know, like I said earlier, there's a shitload of pissed off Serbs that I'm talking about Kosovo that are listening to this. There's a shitload of, of, you know, people in Iraq who are saying, well, Kurdistan is not, is not, they don't exist. A lot of pissed off people in Turkey. Because by trying to to carve out some identity on the map, literally just trying to draw those lines for the other person, it's taking away from their identity, right? It's changing their story, the story that they've always had about right, themselves. Right, it's conflicting narrative. It's making yeah. it's making their nation weaker by both, the fact, right? Both narrative and geopolitically. Yeah, but and it's it's literally just by the fact that. You know, you can't have two stories in your head at the same time, um, and and still feel as if your identity is projected into the rest of the world. And even though you're a small dude in Redondo Beach, California, somehow you are absolutely globally relevant mm. because your nation is right? right. And that's where that pride comes from. And somehow a bit of that trickles down into you. Um, and I mean, I'm in no way free of this programming. Like I. I tend to think, even though I live abroad and I, I have, you know, been through all these unrecognized nations, um, I even, I even uh, I mentioned earlier, I, I ended up working for Liberland, which I'll tell you about in a moment. Um, but like, I feel more American every single year that I'm not living in America because I notice how deep the programming of, of being an American is. Like, I notice how, I have a more individualistic nature uh, than than a communal nature, like in Albania. Um, I notice that there there is this sort of insane drive to to be recognized for pulling myself up by my own bootstraps and to you know make money and have power and all of these things. Like I notice these things because in the background of a Balkan nation, in the background of a more communal nation. Those things don't actually compute. And you notice how that programming is just kind of there. Like, mm. I still, you know, whenever I hear the, the U.S. national anthem, like, it, I, it chokes me up. Genuinely. And I don't know where that's, where that really comes from. Like, I'm like, like, fuck yeah. Yeah. The flag was still there at the end yeah, of it. Like whatever. The, I, like, yeah. play ball. <laughs> yeah. The only time I feel that kind of like, uh, pre-programmed Americanism is watching NFL football. I was okay, and and also you. So here's here's this will this will be a good way of kind of like figuring out the the uh, you know leveling the playing field so to speak. So you you're a sports fan, yeah? Some sports, yeah. Not baseball, okay. not America's game. I fucking hate it. But would you say that shit. you have like a team? No, I did as a kid. Gotcha. No, see, but I'm a weird case because I lived in Spain 20 years. Right, yeah, and yeah. I lost a lot of my NFL but did programming. But you, did you end up sort of, I, and specifically, maybe I'll put it this way. So I am not a sports fan in the least. Um, uh, but I, as I became older, because I was just like, you know, an uh, arts kid and an indoor child, uh, like as I became older, I was like, 
I want one. Like, I want a sports team mm. because you see the sort of like the rapture and you see the, the disgrace when, when somebody's team wins or loses and it's arbitrary, but like, I want to be stoked. <laughs> like, I want to get what they're getting. Well, you could join Hezbollah. <sighs> they won't accept me anymore. Mm. <laughs> they do spend some time in Lebanon. I once, I once ended up, uh, uh, at a, at a disco with some Hezbollah guys in Beirut. That was, <laughs> we were, it's we were, a good we, sentence to just pull out of context. <laughs> we were talking, we were talking outside and the guy was like, I'm a Hezbollah supporter. I was like, Oh, that's cool. And he's like, I fucking hate your country. And I was like, and there's also a little bit of respect in that, yeah. <laughs> like where you're like, oh, thanks yeah. for being so honest. Like, yeah, yeah we, you know, it's a lot to hate about it. Yeah. yeah. You got a particular flavor of yeah. like what, what you're specifically mad at. But but yeah, going back to the sports thing, like I don't feel like I can astroturf it. Like I can't fake. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Sports. Yeah. <laughs> Shows how little I know. Like I can't I can't be like, oh, hell yeah. The Rams. I care deeply about this now. Yeah. And like, their quarterback, he's the best quarterback. Yeah. And like, because it, yeah. it does. Josh. It, feels, <laughs> it just feels fucking arbitrary because yeah. I'm like, the ball, it was on one side of the grass. We didn't think it was going to get to the other side, oh. but God damn it. Wow. They got it there. Yeah. Holy shit. They came to to really play. Yeah. Old, yeah. old Josh really He's knows. He's a competitor. He can, he can kick and throw. Yeah. What they say. <laughs> Watch him run. And I, I try to like be able to at least cocktail so party. So did you get a team? No. You, oh. haven't, you haven't like adopted a team like a dog from the pound? All right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to officially adopt a team right now, actually. Oh, really? And I think that, yeah. In I what think sport? The, uh, football, because the, uh, team from Transnistria, the sheriff football team, yeah. actually did pretty well. Dallas Cowboys? No, no, the, the Transnistrian team. Oh, they have an NFL team? No, Wait, football. The Canada, Canada. Uh, 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 soccer. European soccer. Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, they have. So it's like the stateless country oh, team. Oh, right. Yeah. Is there like a stateless country champions league? I've always wondered that. Yeah. So I think you have to have a real country. Yeah. Well, in there is a there's a portion of people who are in uh, the Olympics that are from unrecognized nations. Oh. So and there's there's like the delegation of like and sometimes they're refugees. Sometimes they're from unrecognized nations. Um, I can't remember her name but there's um there's like a gold medal winning female uh judo practitioner and she just wins every time but she's from kosovo and i can't remember which flag she goes mm. under um but she she's just like absolutely is killer. andorra a country andorra is a micro state from what i understand yeah because I, I had andorran residency once and i was married to an andorran woman sick really yeah, yeah. wow and she has a passport yeah, no, they're they're a micro country. I remember we were traveling. We went to the U.S. and I remember the U.S. immigration guys were like, "Andorra, where's Andorra? What's Andorra?" And, yeah. and they call some other guy. Over. He says, totally. "Hey, you heard of Andorra?" He goes, "Honduras?" Like, oh no, <laughs> Andorra. Like they didn't even know it was a fucking. That's country. like up there with like a Liechtenstein yeah. passport. Yeah, yeah. Or San Marino. I, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Or um, I mean, you know, the, the I, I did sort of like in a in a fit after I finished this, you know, the year of 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 living. You know, the the final country that I was in was in Somaliland. But like after that, I was sort of like, you know, my mind was was spinning, and I was like, the next one is gonna be micro states. I'm just gonna live in all the micro states, and then yeah. and then I just sort of had to come back to my senses and like realize I can't. I can't 
just keep living in, in well his- if the book does well and you get a you know you hey. might get a contract for a, a sequel microstates are next definitely Why coming not? for you uh uh what's a good microstate Andorra, Liechtenstein, there, san marino there's a lot in um in asia or pardon me not in asia in, in europe there's tons in, in europe yeah and i can't figure out why I, the Vatican. The Vatican is the smallest well, one in the it's world. It's history, right? I uh, mean, it's. I think Sealand is technically a microstate. Sealand. Yeah, they're fascinating. They're they're with the whales, the uh, orcas. That, yeah, same name. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Sealand is a is an oil derrick off of the coast of the UK. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you meant the fucking. No, it's like it, I think they've. I think park. they're recognized. Yeah, as far as I know, Sealand and Legoland are currently unrecognized, but they have a. They have a case with the the Hague, I believe. I I met a dude years ago. I was speaking at some fucking Idea City, I think it was, which is like cool name. TED Talks yeah. in Toronto. Um, and this guy, I think he was Alan Greenspan's nephew. Yeah, my memory's weird. Mm. I, I and I remember he was wearing these five finger shoes. Oh, oh yeah, like the, the ones that, that shoes. Yeah, yeah. Right? Total nerd shoes. And so he was giving a talk about how he and some other rich, futuristic kind of people were developing these. I think it was a state. I think the idea was that it was going to be a floating state. It was like barges or something that they were putting in the ocean. I've heard about this. This is like the the Sea Shepherd movement, and this this totally relates to. I think they're called the Sea Shepherds. I don't well, know. Sea Shepherds, uh, no, like you, a Greenpeace. You're offshoot. right. No, they're the like the seafarers, the sea something. But they're like they're. I want to. I want. It's going to be like a tax free yep. outside of any nation's your jurisdiction. And well, that's the, yep. the idea initially was to have them as medical destinations. So you go out there to get your surgery or whatever. Uh, and because they weren't part of any country's medical system, they could afford to be much cheaper. I'm fairly certain that Peter Thiel is invested in this as well. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah. this is this is the sovereign individual. This is what Liberland is doing too. Uh, okay. um, right. I mean, there. The idea is that is that like you you can be a citizen of this nation, which is essentially like the and the the, the true death of of the nation state really happens when you puncture that that narrative and you realize that essentially all a nation state eventually is if you take away the story is a subscription service right it's a protection racket it's a protection racket yeah. and it's also you know uh your your health care and uh not in the u s exactly so it's like what what are we? What you do know, we get? For what are we so proud money? of? Yeah, yeah. Like if you're, like if you're, if you look at American citizenship as a subscription service, like what's the basic package and what's the premium package? Mm. Like apparently with the premium package, you lower your tax rate massively. Yeah. So that sounds pretty good. Yeah, but you got to be able to afford that package. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 So Lieberland's main play was to is to set up. Um, like these sort of affinity groups, like set up these, these, um, uh, embassies basically with recognized and unrecognized nations so that they could, with the Liberland passport, you can go to unrecognized nations and they'll recognize Liberland. So they're building this consensus of mm. other places that remain unrecognized in the world. Wow. Yeah. The Federation of Exiles. Of, exactly. Or yeah. yeah. And I, I found this out when, um, so I, was, uh, I finally ended up. So I ended up on the boats, like going out to the the Danube River, 
um, cause the, the, or going on the Danny River, the strangest fucking thing. Um, but God damn it, polite but firm emails can get you anywhere in the world. Um, you know, it was like maybe a flotilla of like 10 boats, varying sizes. I was on the Lieberland flagship, which I believe is called the Freedom, but it's kind of like an old Serbian houseboat. Um, floating down the Danube River, uh, just top 40 hits blaring on various stereos. Everybody's just drinking Lieberland's official wine, Tierra Nullis, No Man's Land in Latin. Yeah, nice. And the Croatian police are, are flanking us on either side because they were still in a legal battle with Croatia to assert their own independence. So the Croatian police were just there to like make sure that nobody stepped foot on the island. And so, you know, everybody's just getting hammered and, and talking about Bitcoin or whatever. And I'm like, I was just trying to fucking talk with the president. Wait, like, there's still nobody living on the island? Still, yeah. Nobody's living there. Okay, so so this is a total abstraction then at this point. It's kind of like, a, well, I, I believe they have a yearly music festival now called Floating Man. <laughs> okay. I think it's okay. coming up too. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's coming up. Um, so they, I think the music festival now happens. Then I think, believe they're starting to build. Um, uh, oh. yeah, I, I, I'm still on their newsletter. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the, the Croatian police were preventing anybody from getting on the island. I guess they tried to start building at one point and then everybody got arrested. It, it was a whole mess. So they were just there to like make sure that none of the crypto nerds like got off the boat and, and, you know, started founding a nation, I guess, raising mm-hmm. a flag or something. And I was trying to talk with the president somehow. I, I got on the biggest boat again by like waving my large camera around and like pretending to be press. Um, cause I had no ticket to this thing and just the secretary of state was like, yeah, you can come if you want to. Um, and I figured the president would be on the biggest boat and I couldn't find him at all. And then, you know, I mean, it's a boat. There's only so many places to look. It's like, well, I checked the front and I checked the back and he's nowhere here. Um, but then I see he's just motoring around on a goddamn jet ski throughout all the 10 boats that are like Elitist. cruising out there. Mm. He's wearing a, a fucking, uh, suit jacket and jeans. And he would just like stop the jet ski, get off on a boat, and then like give a little stump speech, and then go to another boat. Mm. And I was just sort of marveling. I'm like, okay, well, this is the, is this what a new head of state looks like? And and then I was talking with the secretary of or the foreign secretary, a guy named Tom, who works for Expedia.com, and he lives in Florida. Shout out to Tom. Uh, Tom. <laughs> Tom's great, man. Foreign secretary He's also kind of like a, a, a dad DJ. Uh, Tom's a cool guy, but he was like, he's chatting with me for a second when he noticed I was just like watching watching the, the jet skis. Like, you want to get on the jet ski? And I was like, yeah, I totally want to get on the you jet ski. You mean the presidential motorcade? <laughs> exactly. And then Tom just like waved him down and he came out and I was like, fuck yeah, I'm finally meeting the president of Lieberland. It's been months of hearing about the president of Lieberland from some dude in a bar in Iraq to getting on this jet ski. And so I like got on a jet ski, which is a really weird place for a first impression because it's like you're, you're literally holding the yeah. yeah, I'm just like holding his yeah. midsection. Yeah. And then off we go. And it's just like, I'm like, I'm Eric. And he's like, I know who you are. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, because of all my Polite emails. Polite but firm, Eric. Polite from, but firm emails. Did you ever interview him? The best I could get was, I mean, we ended up talking later on, um, but the best I could get out of him was because I feel like, I felt like I was going to have a short ride on the, on the, the jet ski. You know, he's a busy man. He got a lot of speeches to give and there's a lot of boats. 
So, like, he stopped and he's sort of idling in front of the, like, between the lead boat of Lieberland and then the Croatian police. And it's like, you know, the sun's going down on the Danube and you're just like, where the fuck am I? You know, I'm, I'm clutching the president of Lieberland's midriff. And, and I was like, I couldn't come up with any questions. And I was like, uh, you just started, to, like, you've had a country for three years. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to start their own country? And he sort of considered it for a second and he was like just do it everyone should have their own country and he just busted this 180 spraying a bunch of water everywhere and then dropped me back off on the boat and I was like I don't know if that was profound or idiotic but it fucking ruled that was the George Washington of yeah Maryland, like right was there. that George Wa- like how much cooler would it have been if George Washington crossed the Delaware on a goddamn jet ski <laughs> It'd be a much cooler painting. The painting would right? be sick. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, that's the America I want to be a part of. And I was like... Oh, man. So I, I got on the boat and, you know, the Tom was like, so where's the next stop? And I was like, oh, final one is uh, is Somaliland. And he's like, we have an embassy there. And I was like, okay. I mean, I just accept everything <laughs> at this point. Right. I just got off of the jet ski of the president of Liberland and the Croatian police are watching us dance to Katy Perry. Yeah, everything is everything is everything at right, this point. Right. Sure, you have an embassy yeah. in Hargeisa, Somaliland. Right. He's like, you want to stay at it? And I was You're like, just doing yes and exactly at this point. like reality, it's like improv, international <laughs> relations, improv. I, I really felt like like it was like you you trained an AI on like you know what is the strangest possible thing that could happen next, and and that's what what it, reality was serving to me. Right, and so he's like, you want to stay at the embassy and I was like yeah fuck yeah I have $300 to my name and six weeks in northern Somalia Somaliland. and let's face it your currency is good stories right so that's Perfect. what you're going for yeah, yeah. well I mean I, I think that, that it works in the larger context too which is yeah. you know currency is a story yeah, you're, I think good point. Currency is a story, and a good story is currency. Well, because you mean, can buy a meal with a good story. Totally, right? You can get laid with a good story. Damn right. You yeah, turn I, a good story into all sorts of shit. I mean, to hop back to to Kurdistan briefly, um, you know, I was in I was in a cab driver's uh, in, a, in a cab, and I was talking to the driver, and he was like, uh, 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 you know, just you know, what have, what have you been up to? And he's like, oh, I'm Peshmerga. I was just fighting because there was there was fighting outside of Kirkuk after the referendum. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing driving a cab? He's like, I'm, I'm on Peshmerga. Like, I fight. That's my job. And it's like, and you still have to drive a cab. It's like, he's being paid in patriotism. You know, mm. he's being paid and being closer to being a part of the story. Right. And it's, it's not about the money at this point. Like, and, and when you look at patriotism as a kind of currency, you know, oftentimes the people who are not being, uh, paid the most are the most patriotic because to have a sense of self, that doesn't generate from how much you have in the bank. Oftentimes mm-hmm. it's like, well, I identify the most closely with the nation that I'm a part of. Right? You're, I mean, they, they probably have a sense that they are, they're embedded within the story. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're also a main character. In you're it not too. just hearing the story and repeating it. You're a character in it. In yeah. some way. Like, yeah. and so that's, that's the, you know, the nation story as currency because you can pay people in being closer to that ideal of the nation. Well, isn't that what the fancy British guy was saying when he said that it's fun? That's exactly right. It's yeah. like, well, I'm part of the story. This is right. a cool story. I want to be part of it. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, it was, it was almost like 
nation building, like descri- somebody describing a band they were starting. I'm like, right. and, and had never heard of it in that context. Right. And then I was on my way to Somaliland, which it has just a brutal history of attempting to separate from federal Somalia. Um, just absolutely horrendous history. And it's like, oh yeah, we have an embassy there. And I was like, uh, okay, why not? Um, but like, uh, so did you become ambassador or something or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically what happened was, um, I went back to Bulgaria with my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was just hanging out in Sofia for a bit, kind of recovering from the, the madness of Liberland. Her name's Sofia. No, Sophia Bulgaria. Her name is Savannah. Um, shout out Savannah. Um, uh, so I was, uh, just hanging out in Sofia and I was kind of waiting for next steps from Liberland because like I had a ticket to Hargeisa, Somalia, Somaliland, uh, nothing like nothing booked, no place to stay. I was like, I, I'm, I think I'm staying on the floor of this embassy. Let's, you know, so again, beautifully worded, polite, but firm emails, even text messages at this point. Mm. So I was texting the president like, oh, just, you know, Tom said that it was cool if I sleep over at the embassy for six weeks, like, <laughs> like couch surfing in Somaliland. And, yeah. and I, like, I, I still sent one of them and I, I think the, the president, Vigilika, uh, I think he was just sick of hearing from me and, and he immediately called and this is this is clearly the longest conversation I was going to have with him. And I was like, fuck, what do I say? I'm like, hello, Mr. President. Yeah. And he's like, oh, what's up? And I'm like, <laughs> that's a perfect Vigilica impression. Uh, <laughs> he was like, um, so uh, something's happened. We lost our ambassador to Somaliland. So, um, and I was like, fuck, like I have... 200 to $300 to my name at this point. There's no way I can stay safely in northern Somalia for, for, or Somaliland for two weeks, uh, or six weeks, six weeks on my own. There's no possible way that I can do that. I'm like, I'm gonna try and figure out an NGO that'll put me up, mm. something like that. I'm just sort of, and I, I'm leaving in like two days. And then he's like, uh, is that something you'd be interested in? And I'm like, w- one, what? And he's like, being the ambassador, would you like to be the ambassador? <laughs> <laughs> and you, and you're not even like you're not even like aligned with no, Liberland. Absolutely not. I I, I became yeah. I became an ambassador because I just really needed a place to stay in Hargeisa. <laughs> but you had had your arms wrapped around the midriff of the president with that one embrace. Yeah, yeah. There's like, when you ride a jet ski with another man. There's a certain respect. There's a that bond. Forms. Yeah. yeah, there's trust. He was like, I like the cut of your jib. I like the way that you held on for dear life while I busted sick 180s in front of the Croatian police. Yeah, you are ambassador. And the material. way you danced to Katy Perry. That's right. Yeah. yeah, just just you're qualified. Teeth pink with Liberland wine. <laughs> <laughs> Doing hard research, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations, Mr. Ambassador. I mean, I, I've abdicated my position at this point, but oh. they, uh, I, I, and I, I did think about continuing on. You were I, an interim ambassador. Acting, yeah. I was, acting, uh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I was uh, offered the position full time. And then uh, received many firmly worded emails from my mother and girlfriend being like, no, you're not fucking living in Hargeisa, Somalia. But firm or just firm? No, just firm. Just firm. Very firm. Impolite, but and I'm firm. like, listen, these crypto guys said that I get to be an ambassador. Um, 
So, so I, I get to uh, Hargiza and uh, some uh, the attaché of Liberland to the UAE, who is a Syrian guy who lives in Dubai, is there to meet me, and he's like, "Oh, we'll we'll take you, we'll take you to uh, your embassy." Yeah, so they they drop me off at the uh, uh, at the embassy, um, the embassy, and it's it's fucking huge. It's it's a, I think it was like a eight bedroom mansion. In the sort of protected region next to the UN, next to the, um, next to the, the other regional embassies. Um, how did they pay for that? Bitcoin, baby. Jesus. <laughs> Just Bitcoin. I guess. I mean, no, I, I, there's a lot of questions that I probably should have asked with this role, like, namely, what happened to the original ambassador? <laughs> never asked. You, you never asked. <laughs> never. It seemed impolite. He did. He yeah. did a bit. Also, like this is this is the mind of a poor traveler. I was yeah. like, like, you can let, place to stay. You'll let me sleep in your elevator. This I'm is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm a king. Yeah. So they were like, they dropped me off in the mansion, and and it had like a papaya grove. It had like a separate banquet hall. It had um, one bed, which was my room, uh, the official ambassador room. Nothing else in it. Absolutely, totally empty, except for twelve metal chairs, which I don't know why they were there. Mm. Um, and uh, and then that, and I had a I had an armed guard named Eid. Who was uh, just like this little old man with an AK forty seven, really sweet guy, and I think he knew that I was like terrified to be there, so he sort of took me through each and every room with a little flashlight and like showed me that all of the rooms were empty um, before I went to bed. And then the the folks at Liberland were like, "Okay, you have two jobs," and I was like, "Great, what are they?" And they're like, "Establish diplomatic connections with the government of Argiza." It's like, "Great," and they're like. Get furniture for the embassy. I was like, okay. I, I mean, I've never furnished a house before, but I'll totally buy furniture for for this this embassy. And uh, I got hooked up with with a sort of with a guy who was working in um, uh, in the he was working the the Somaliland government in some respect. Um, really, just wonderful human who I've just just found out recently passed. Um, but he was just such a genteel and an amazing human being mm. and no matter what you know uh you know I'm a, I'm a fake ambassador to an unrecognized nation that just got the job a week ago i still don't want to fuck it up because it seems important um are you I'm, insisting that people refer to you as mr ambassador at this point no um which Come i on. realized was somewhat <laughs> i know I, yeah. I but the the power started to go to my head immediately as soon as i went to speak with the vice president of uh somaliland so i go in have, having a meeting with the vice president of somaliland uh the uh a woman who was i believe she was the the ambassador to canada from uh to somaliland and I was astounded that as soon as I was in this room with the vice president and this other person, very sort of official, like banquet hall type of area, the amount of horseshit that came out of my mouth about we as Lieberland, what we would like to do for you, was astounding. Mm. Immediately, I was just like, I was like, this is why politicians are this way. Mm. Like, I just got this completely arbitrary title from this completely arbitrary place and suddenly i am speaking like what i think a politician speaks like right and i was like i'm i'm an emissary of 
you know, bullshit landia. Exactly. And I'm like, I have to make this sound good, (laughs) you know? And so basically he was like, okay, well, you know, we're happy to have you X, Y, and Z. And I was like, great. You know, we've established diplomatic connections. I need to make some other contacts. This is all good. I think I'm going to, you know, uh, and then I'll do some sightseeing. By the way, Mr. Vice President, uh, can you recommend a good um, furniture shop? I did ask that. Did you? (laughs) I fucking did. (laughs) I absolutely asked that. (laughs) Where would you recommend I buy a sofa? He immediately (laughs) talked to uh, uh, Abdul Rahman, the man who was uh, was sort of showing me around. And he's like, oh, and he's like, oh, he recommends this district. And I was like, thank you, sir. Um, I will see myself out. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, okay, this is fine. It's, you know, like, this is strange. Uh, and it's Ramadan, so there's just not much going on there. Mm. So I was, you know, uh, experiencing as her- uh, Hargeisa as much as I possibly could. Um, but then the communications of everything kind of went out for like three days. And I, nobody really had any idea what was going on. But it was very, like, you know, jarring to be totally cut off from the world and from, you know, from Liberland and from, you know, my, my family, my, my girlfriend. And I was like, I, if this doesn't come back on, I'm literally just not connected to the rest of the world at all. And I don't know how to get out of Hargeisa. Um, and it came back on eventually. And what happened was there was a cyclone that had blown through, uh, the country hmm. and it knocked out communications. But immediately I got a call from, uh, the secretary of state of, of, Lieberland and he was like you know the cyclone has happened but the good thing is uh, we're going to give aid on behalf of Lieberland to Somaliland um, and, and we've got a team on the ground already and I was like awesome who's the team and he's like it's you <laughs> so what did you, what'd you have to do he was like figure out how we can deliver aid to the affected areas and I was like sure great let's do that okay mm. Fine. Um, I think I need money for this. And then he's like, yeah, we're going to transfer you $15,000 in Bitcoin. And so uh, some, some magic happened with the, uh, with the, the Syrian dude who was, was working in, in Somaliland. I don't really know what their connection was. Um, I didn't really ask, but he ended up handing me $15,000 in U.S. bills. Um, and I was like, okay, Abdul Rahman, uh, Let's uh, figure out how to make an aid delivery to these these pastoralists, these nomads that were in the affected area. Hmm. So we ended up buying like seven tons of food and driving it out. And also, if you ever – everybody at some point, if they're into thrills, should walk around with $15,000 in a backpack in northern Somalia just to feel – Just to feel it. The yeah. most kidnappable you've ever felt in your life. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm surprised you never got kidnapped. I had two attempts. Oh. Yeah, um, but I'm 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 squirmy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> got out of there quick. Fuck, dude. Uh, we got to wrap this yeah, up yeah. because all sorts of shits happening here. Um, but I'd love to continue the conversation. Obviously, we have no trouble finding things to talk about. Yeah, clearly, and we're ending with you saying you uh, squirmed out of two kidnapping attempts. I mean, yeah. leave them wanting more. <laughs> Jeez, there you go. Thanks for doing this, yeah, man. Absolutely. The book is called You Are Not Here. You Are Not Here. When gonna, is it out? It's going to be released in six months, probably. Uh, so, um, so yeah, if we could delay it all, that'd be great. Um, but yeah. should, we, should I say, like, it's available now? Uh, 
Um, no. We have have we said anything that talks about the time we're in? No. No. Okay. Uh-uh. Good. Then it's available now. So the, unless the war in Ukraine just randomly ends, which I don't think it will. Oh, uh, is that what's delaying the release? No, no. I'm just. I they the the publishers were like, no, nah, we don't want it unless there's a TV show along with it. And Vice is like, well, we don't want to film this TV show, so it's kind of like stuck in weird limbo. So I'm uh. just releasing it privately. Oh, yeah. I see. I'm okay. Just going independent I, on it. I got you. I'm just okay. Sick of waiting. But it'll be available on Amazon. Yeah, it'll be available on Amazon right. okay. pretty much everywhere. I've All got right. two books out otherwise, but but uh, those are those are speculative fiction and science fiction. What are they called? Immortal LA and Eternal LA. This is me trying to like Los Angeles by writing about it. Oh, yeah. right. Doing all that research. Didn't right. work out. Right. <laughs> Still don't like it. No, fuck it. All right. We're going to end this. Uh, thank you for for going to all the trouble to come here Absolutely. from Somaliland or wherever the fuck you came from. <laughs> pleasure on your way mine. to wherever the fuck you're going. Uh Eric, and it's not Zoolander, it's what? Zoolager. Zoolager. C as in cat, Z as in zebra, U-L-E-G-E-R. You can find me at E-Zoolager, E-C-Z-U-L-E-G-E-R, Gmail, Instagram. That's about it. Wait, not not Gmail. I mean, I guess you can email me if you want to. (laughs) Fuck it. Why not? Yeah. Let's do it right now. (laughs) Let's do it, weirdos. All right. I'll put links to to your Instagram. And And the book. And the book and all that on the show notes. Cool, man. All right. Thank you. Radio Mano Papachango Permanece a la escucha Permanece a la escucha